welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Uh, week two, back from the big break. Yes, we are pumped and ready to talk some bread lie. Um, yeah, I, I think I got used to not 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 doing the show, man. So I was like, kind of like doing I all these extra things <laughs> for, for for five years, and then we have two weeks off, and you've already gotten used to not doing the show. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, um, I, I don't know. It's just like weird. I, I don't know. I was out and about today, and I'm like, oh shit, I got to get home. I got to do the show. What yeah, the <laughs> yeah. To be to be completely honest, I was doing the same thing. I was talking to my friend on the phone, uh, he's, uh, he's getting married this weekend. So of course we're all talking to like, you know, bachelor party, all that fun stuff. And I looked down at my watch and I'm like, Oh shit, it is like eight 40. I'm like, I got to get down and do the show. So it's like, I had to cut, I was in no hurry. I was lounging on the sofa. So yeah, <laughs> to get to get back in the swing of this thing, I guess. Jesus. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, by next week, everything will be, will be back to normal. Soon. Yeah. Um, and there's 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 a tons of stuff that uh so tonight we're talking Morelia bread lie, bread lie, Centralium pythons, carpet python sister, uh species if you will. Um and we're going to be talking with Casey Cannon. Casey was the guy that uh his I guess it's his day job hooked up the uh um the calendars for us. Hopefully people are getting mm-hmm. them. I've seen a whole bunch of people posting that they got them, so that that's that's a good thing. Um, I get mine tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we only have Finally. a few left. Only a few yeah. left, man. Um, so if you want one, uh, I would definitely uh, not wait on that because once they're gone, they're gone. You know, so uh, uh, you know, don't want to miss out. Um, so. Southern, uh, I, I guess we should hit on this too. Southern Carpet Fest announced their date, and uh, I'm just trying to, uh, as we speak, um, I want to say it's the last um, uh, weekend in April, which I'm trying yep. to get that date. Um, I love how sorry. We were, like I love how we were included in the integral planning part of this. It's like what's the best <laughs> date that works for everybody? I'm like, why are we here? all we did was pick out the date that worked best for us. And then everybody had to make plans around it. It's like, you know, they're like, what works for you, Owen and Eric? I'm like, I don't know. So it's, I guess it's subtle that they want us to come again. So (laughs) they really just want you, Owen, you know, you're damn right. They do. (laughs) So I just tag along for the fun, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, got to, Got to bring the Hobbit. So it's, but I think they want me back because they want to try to kill me again. So or or finish <laughs> the job that they finish what they started. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I it's an elaborate plot. Take me out to put someone. I'm going to say put someone more pro to the IJ agenda in as co-host in Marley Python Radio. <laughs> It is a yeah. vast conspiracy, and I will get to the bottom of it. I promise. So, <laughs> yeah. Whole man, we got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people on the line here. 
so I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming that they're just listening in, but it's cool to see people well, excited about bread lie. Uh, one of them is Casey, I assume. So, uh, right? I don't think so. Not yet. Oh, He'll be calling in, in a couple minutes. Um, so yeah, so Southern Carpet Fest, um, is, is, uh, is booked and ready to go. Uh, four twenty nine seventeen. It's down in, uh, in Bill Stegall's place again, uh, which is pretty awesome. Um, the Stiegel compound. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the building that looks like a bank. That, <laughs> As Owen says. That was, that was my, my, one of my better off the cuff things. So, you know, every once in a while I have a good one, but it's, uh, obviously if you didn't make it out the last one, you should try to make it out to this one. Uh, Southern Carpet Fest is an entirely different animal than the Northeast Carpet Fest. Uh, different breeders, different people. Um, Bill. So it's well, no, Bill came to Northeast. Never mind. All right. So it's it, it just feels a little bit different, but then it's got a lot of the same things where everybody hangs out, talking uh, back and forth about different stuff, going on about stories, and then of course, just it's a weekend of fun for you and I. It, to be honest, it's almost like a it's a wind down because we get to go out to Texas, hang out with people, and we don't got to do shit. I was going to say, I have to get bit by royal pythons, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just because you're, you know, I don't understand how you did that. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like we can get down there, and it, it's, it's in the hands of all these guys who do the planning and they do a fantastic job, and it just we just kick back and enjoy. So if you're in the area, which I know Texas is huge, but if you're in that area, you should definitely try to make plans to go to this one. Uh, Eric and I, I want to say we're going to try to be there, because <laughs> so, I know you're going, and yes. I'm going to go, but I'm going to say it like this just in case I look at my finances and they're horrible. <laughs> so um but <laughs> soft soft go. Owen's going, kinda. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Um but don't let a yeah, silly I mean, thing so, like finances hold you back. Come on. I know, right? <laughs> they only stopped me from Australia. So yeah. you know, there's uh I mean we we had a bunch of people come in from a bunch of different places last time, so it is definitely going to be a good time. And then, if you can't make it to that one, tell them about the Northeast Carpet Fest, Eric. Yes. Well, if you're up in the northeast section of the of the United States and you want to pop in, we're doing the Northeast Carpet Fest on June 3rd. Uh, it looks like we have about, what, like 24 people committed, 25 people interested, uh, you know. Uh, and we're a ways off. I mean, we're about <laughs> we're six months away from it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, it comes quick, man. Little... Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. year it's going to be at my place. Um, so um, I don't know. Should be cool. Something different, you know. Mix it up, and uh, you know, uh, let people see uh, what I got going on. And uh, it seems like we got a, a nice group of people coming from. Um, you know, outside of Pennsylvania, which is pretty awesome. You know, um, yeah. I thought we had a great group last year. I, I really thought, uh, you know, there was there was some awesome people there. 
and uh, I see a lot of them well, are I mean, going to be returning again. If, so, if Nick's flying in from you know Washington, none of you have excuses for if you're like in New Jersey. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. Bill will be there. That'll be fun. You know, um, I'm sure Buddy's going to be there. So basically, the GTP Keeper Radio guys will be there, um, and, and then uh, we'll be there. Always yeah, weird so, when all four of us are in the same place. So that's right. Don't uh, have any bombs go off or anything, or yeah, I know. Morelia podcasting no is over. For anybody, <laughs> done, done, gone. Um, Speaking of the. Uh, uh, radio show of the year is back up on the reptile report. So yes. Yes. My jump in the gun. Were we meant to do that now or might as well do yeah, it now? No, 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 no. Yeah. I wanted to do it yeah, before we got Casey on. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> All right. God damn. I'm good. Anyway. Um, so the reptile report every year obviously does the, the look back of the past year and does the best of, they got, you know, best photos. They've had, a bunch of different categories over the years. Um, and obviously the one that has been consistent is a radio show or podcast of the year. This is our, God, we've been nominated like four, five, four times, right? Since 2012. All right. So there you go. Um, so obviously we uh, love the fact that we've been nominated because it's not like they come out with the list. The nomination is they kind of go, Hey, who should be nominated? And it, I think it's like second or third comment down is somebody posted our uh, Morelli Python radio. So of course we do love that the fact that you guys nominate us to those kind of things. Uh, we take great pride in that. And we obviously love the fans of the show and try to do the best we can for you guys. So, uh, it's back up. They're going to obviously start coming out in the next few days of um, this is just the nomination phase, and we're, we're nominated now. So uh, after well, that, they're going to well, – I assume well, we're going to throw up the voting thing? Well, they're not officially – we're not officially nominated. So basically what they do at this point is is that they have that yeah. page, and you go and you nominate people, and oh. then they go and they tally up. Here's the problem. You see who nominates? <laughs> ah, Here's the problem we got. The problem is, is that, you know, our competitors are all ball python uh, podcasts. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And so we're the only, well, there's some gecko turtle stuff there too, but. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but what I'm saying is, is that you got to remember that ball pythons are, you know, they're, they're pretty huge in the hobby. So that's a lot that of true. people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. It would be awesome. Just, you know, if, uh, Shit, if we could so, win it uh, again, that's pretty awesome. That'd be nice. Yeah, you got the last trophy. I call this one. But um, so <laughs> yeah, we need to get Owen a trophy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Owen deserves nice things. All right, so um, what, it's like one of those situations still... where even the 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 guy that comes in ninth place has to get a trophy. So come on, we got to get Owen a trophy. <laughs> I don't know. We're not. No, no. You and I are going to. You know how later. you millennials but, are. You all need trophies I'm and all got to be told. I was born in the eighties. Of course, we oh, don't okay. know. But yeah, I was. I was born in the eighties. You know, when you were in college. So. It's, <laughs> 
I, for, I keep forgetting you're not a millennial. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah, I take lump, it back. Don't you lump me? <laughs> don't you lump me in with those people? You stop that. <laughs> uh, oh, and you hit Shut a high up, pitch. KJ. <laughs> Apparently, I can. I, you got to have range to be in, you know, NPR co-host. But anyway, that's right. So anyway, Carpet Fest. Owen's going to be singing a cappella. Um, dear as, God, uh, by the no. fire pit. Dear, be quite dear God. It'll be magical. Anyway, if you are, if you could follow the links, uh, obviously we have them posted up on Rally Python Radio Facebook page, and a few other people have been uh, commenting on it. So follow it through your feed. Throw up Morelia Python Radio up there. We'll get through the nomination phase, and then we'll be back to beg for you guys to come vote for us for uh, Radio Show of the Year. We'll see if we can make it two in a row. So, yeah, yeah I look at it this way. When we win, I think yeah. we win for, um, you know, the community. That's how I look at it. We're representing uh, uh, the part of the community um, and, you know, the Morelia part of the community and uh, – that's how I look at it. So all the breeders and everybody that comes on, I think that gives them more exposure and stuff. And uh, because obviously if you win it, it's, it's, you know, they kind of push it and post it and people kind of learn about what's going on. So, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a cool thing. Also go over there and nominate GTP keeper radio as well. Uh, yes. I saw that they got I some, uh, for them. Yeah. Yep. So yep. make sure you give them some love too. Um, but uh, I don't know. You want to jump into this with Casey or what? You ready? Yeah, let's go for it. Yep. All right. Let's do it. Casey, welcome to Morelia Python Radio. Glad to have you. Ready to talk some bread lie. How you doing? Absolutely. Hey, guys. I'm doing pretty well tonight. Uh, how are you guys? Yeah, we're, we're surviving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the optimist. Okay. Boy. <laughs> yeah, he, Eric gets I'm to the play gl- the optimistic one tonight. Yeah, so. Yeah. To take turns, but anyway, uh, ah, I understand. Let's, let's just start it with what got you into reptiles in general. <laughs> well, uh, my earliest reptile memory is uh, kind of funny. When I was three years old, I was uh, growing up in a neighborhood that didn't really have a lot of kids my age. So I looked up to this kid that was uh, like ten years old when I was, like I said, I was about three or four, and he would do this thing where he would catch uh, eastern five line skinks. Uh, mm-hmm. That would just run around the backyard. He put them on his ear, like an earring. So that's okay. kind of my first, uh, <laughs> kind of my first jump into uh, thinking, wow, these things are really cool. And then, of course, as I got older, I kind of grew up watching Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter. Uh, really got into uh, Australian snakes that way, and we just kind of spend uh, my childhood, you know, kind of like every other reptile kid does, I guess, where you're running around outside trying to catch whatever you can find. Uh, you know, I had pet frogs, lizards, stuff like that. I wasn't allowed to have snakes, though, so I uh, couldn't really do that until I until I moved out and went to college. But uh, okay. So yeah. what 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 got like we're like the taboo? The what? Was were snakes like habit? So once you got into college, you were like, <laughs> well, there was something I'd wanted uh, pretty much since middle school. So, okay. um, yeah, I was really, really just, I think every Christmas I would ask my mom for, oh, I want to get a snake. Oh, will you guys let me get a snake? Something like that. And, mm. uh, actually bread lie were really, really high on the list. You know, even as really? early as ninth grade. Yeah. 
So uh, as soon as I got out, I was like, you know what? I've always wanted one of these things. So just, I was like, well, I got the money. I don't live here. I'm going to get a pair of bread lie and uh, hide them in the dorm room. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd think that was funny, Owen. (laughs) I'm not the only one. All right. So that's fantastic. (laughs) So were they, they were your first snake or your first real python? They were the first snakes I ever spent money on. Jeez. I would go out and I'd catch, right. uh, yeah, I would go out and I'd catch like uh, black rat snakes, garter snakes, uh, decay snakes, which are pretty common in the North Georgia area where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, first snake I ever spent money on was a pair of uh, Centralian carpet pythons. Awesome. So, what led to this passion for the bread line? What what was like the defining moment where you were like these things and these things forever? <laughs> okay, so um, since I wasn't allowed to have them or any snakes mm-hmm. in general, I would um, spend a lot of time going online looking up care sheets, kind of uh, getting a new obsession of the week for all kinds of animals. Right? You know, I went right. through wanting everything from, uh, you know, I wanted kinkachus, I wanted kawadis, I wanted all kinds. First uh-huh. of all, they're illegal here. But, uh, oh, you know, I went through a little ball python stage where I was looking, and I remember I was on uh, Justin Jewlander's website, um, Australian Addiction for people listening, and I was looking at woma pythons. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh, these woma pythons are awesome. You know, I wish they were red. And then I looked on his uh, collection page, and they had a picture of a map of Australia with a Brettles python's coloration on it and pattern. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? I have to have it. So went on there. I looked, and this was 2007, 2008 maybe. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they that were – they had come down in price. Yeah. But uh, I was – I graduated in 2012, so I was still quite a ways away from uh, <laughs> being able to get any of those things. Um, but, yeah, that was my first uh, introduction to looking at Brettles pythons was just Justin Julander's website, and then I kind of looked around and kind of just wanted one ever since. All right. So you got – where did you get your first pair of bread life from, or did you just find them on Kingsnake or something like that, or did you kind of research Oh, uh, they were on uh, – yeah, they were on Fauna. Okay. Really, the guy had a – there was a guy that had them before they got to the guy who sold them to me. And I'd kind of been putting up little wanted ads on there. You know, I kind of, at the time, I'd had so much time to research that I knew exactly what I wanted and what I wanted to get. So I kind of put out some little feelers over there. A guy had a a trio of them, which were, to this day, some of the best-looking Brettles pythons I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I couldn't get them. I didn't have the money. But uh, a couple months later, I kind of came into it, and I looked around and asked the guy again. And he said, oh, I sold them. And... You know, he gave me the information of the guy that had bought them from him. And mm-hmm. so I called him up, and I basically just begged him for at least one of the animals from that trio. And he was like, yeah, okay, I uh, don't really want to sell them, but I'll give you one, and I'll give you this kind of other male that's not anywhere near as good looking as them. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, 500 bucks later, they were uh, coming over to... <laughs> The uh, shipping center right outside of my dorm room. 
Oh, that's awesome. God, that's awesome. (laughs) 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 That takes me back. Anyway, um, so what is your group now? Like, how big is it, and what does it consist of? How many animals? I've actually got a pretty small group of snakes in general. I've only got the brother pythons right now. I've got uh, four males and three females. And of that group, uh, I've kind of got everything you can get your hands on as far as Brettles pythons go, uh, okay. with the exception of a visual uh, stripe or a anything from the Harris line. But I'm kind of working on getting some Harris line stuff coming in pretty soon. So I've okay. got a adult female stonewash. I have a Doug Price line male who has this kind of really cool, aberrant, uh, reduced pattern look to him. I have a pair of uh, head stripe Casey Lazic line animals, which are some of the best-looking Brettles pythons I've ever seen. Um, I mean, really, they're going to be amazing when they're adults. But I've got awesome. a pair of hypos, and I have a Henrik Afors line male, which uh, I am really, really proud of him, too. Jeez, so, that uh, is, that's, that's small but powerful collection. Jeez. Yeah. So, are these all adult animals, or are we growing them up, and or are you going to start uh, kind of a mixture of all of them? Line? Okay. So I've got a um, I've got two 2015s. I have three 2014s. Uh, female Stonewash is from 2009, which she's actually one of the first ones ever produced. Um, and I have a male from 2004, which is actually uh, one of the first. I think he's from the first clutch of Breadline Nick ever produced. Like I said, back in 2004, really? so he's going on 13 now. Yeah, he's an old guy. Wow. That's that's awesome, though, that he can he's still kind of, you know, kicking. I mean, so partially, mm-hmm. I'm like, some of the sometimes the old guys, like I have a 12-year-old that will breed with a piece of rope. So sometimes the old guys will still impress you. So What size? Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping he'll go for me one day. Yeah. What size are we looking at with that, that male? Uh, about six and a half feet, 2,600 grams. He's not enormous. Okay. Uh, I kind of keep right. him on the really lean side. Uh, okay. Don't watch female, though. She is a solid eight-footer. I mean, I have an eight-foot yeah. pool table, and the tip of her tail goes all, you know, from the tip of her tail to the head is all the way across, and her head hangs over a little bit. So she's probably like eight foot, eight foot two, man. She's huge. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sounds, that sounds like my, those sound like my bread life. So, yep. Yeah. Which I'm never going to okay. let my uh, ones I'm raising it myself get that big, but you know it's kind of kind of fun to say you have one that huge. It is. Yeah, when you <laughs> when you have that one big snake and people come over and they're looking at your stuff and it's kind of like, wow, that's impressive, you know. And it's mm-hmm. not even big like say a berm or a retic or something like that, but they're just kind of like, oh, oh, wow, that's <laughs> that's really really a big snake. Um, but uh, I think it's their head, you know. It kind of makes them look. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I don't know. You know, they got and, that uh, big. When I first brought her in about uh, two, oh sorry. No, sorry. Okay. I was gonna say when I first brought her in like two, two and a half years ago, she was very, very angry that she had been moved houses. So uh, <laughs> and I, she had an upper respiratory infection when she came in too, so I had to give her shots. So. I kind of had to figure a way to dance around her head. She never got me, but she tried. So it's very intimidating to put an eight-foot, really, really angry carpet python or 
you know, sister C species to a carpet python on a table and uh, <laughs> try and give them a shot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I I will uh, agree with you and tell you that when I did it with my, I think she's an over six foot female. I was not so lucky, and she ended up getting me on the hands, and uh, and I was bleeding pretty badly, and I didn't want to bleed all over the carpet, so I actually called because Jim was upstairs. So I called him and told him to come down. I needed some help. So he opened the door to the snake room, and Jim peeks in and goes, how's the hobby going, son, as I am bleeding profusely all over the place? And I go, how do you think it's going? And then he threw me paper towels and left. So that's all I wanted him to do. But yeah. So I can tell you, you know, big, big bread lie is something you kind of don't want to mess around with. And they'll, whenever you see another python species kind of cool down, they kind of slow down. Have you noticed that with your bread lie, even though they could be really, really cold, it don't matter. If they're hungry, they're going to come right out of cage. Oh, absolutely. Anything. Exactly. So, <laughs> especially with this species, they don't really notice it when it gets cold. So they don't care. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like sixty-five degrees. They're like, I don't care. <laughs> I'd feed me exactly. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to go through a, a bunch of different topics when it comes to this uh, natural history, feeding, keeping, breeding, morphs, uh, bloodlines, all this stuff that we're going to hit on for sure. Um, but I thought maybe we would start with the natural history. I thought I thought you posted up. Uh, I think it was in the. Uh, I, I think the name is what uh, the the. The Brettle Python Keepers Brett Yes, um, and you posted yeah. up something that I thought was pretty interesting, where you were you were posting up some of the shots of um, of just what their environment looks like, and I know we've 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 always talked about it, but um, I think it was pretty interesting to actually see it. Um, where people think it's actually a desert, but it's it's a dry area that's surrounded by a desert, which is why they're sort of their own species at this point. I thought maybe you could share some some thoughts about what's going on in their environment and uh, you know uh, something along those lines. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, like you're saying, uh, the way to think about it is, Brittle's pythons are an island species. But instead of their surrounding region they can't cross being water, it is a very dry, very hot desert where carpet pythons just are not going to be able to fare well across. So they live in a region known as the Western, West McDonald National Park region, as where it's taking up most of the, re, most of the area. Uh, it's near the town of Alice Springs, Australia. Um, right. Sorry, I got distracted by the chat. I need to walk away from the feeder for a second. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the daily struggle. You got to just yeah. walk away, ignore yeah. them, and continue talking. So. Yeah. So the area is um, really, really inhospitable when it comes to what you typically expect a python can handle. I've been looking at the uh, AccuWeather, which has historical uh, temperature and precipitation data from years past and i would see highs over there in the summertime which over there is uh july december or uh, excuse mm-hmm. me january to december and you'd see highs up like 110 during the day sometimes 
And if you look over at the wintertime lows, I think in 2015 there was a day in January where it got down to 27 degrees three nights in a row. Yeah, I mean that is that is cold for a python. So, uh, and they're just out there hanging out in uh, tree hollows, uh, rocky crevices, which is where their habitat is in that region. They have um, the mountain ranges out there. Uh, they're kind of create a semi oasis kind of thing where the rain will get stopped. Still a very dry place, but uh, you're still able to grow a lot more tree life than uh, you would typically expect in a desert, which is something yeah. that surprised me as I've gone through and kind of looked over the Google Maps and stuff like that where you're driving by. Right. Mm-hmm. It'll be like really, really dry, and all of a sudden you're in this like kind of savanna looking forest, and that's kind of the region where they're living at. And um, you uh, – wow, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's where the – you look at that's where the birds – and stuff mm-hmm. are coming in to uh, roost during the wetter times of the year, which is uh, springtime. And uh-huh. over there, springtime is July into November-ish. Right. I believe from what I've looked up, right now they're in the middle of summer. Okay. And um, you look. Um, so the wet times of the year will come over there. The birds will kind of fly all around the areas of northern Australia, get a pretty uh, pretty big range of right. avian life, really. I mean, you look, and there's uh, common pet store birds, which I thought were kind of funny to see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, everything's got to come I mean, you got like, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at pictures of... Uh, I follow a bird keepers group on Facebook from uh, the Alice Springs uh-huh. region, and they're showing up pictures of, like, parakeets and cockatiels and stuff like I'm like, you could find those at PetSmart. That's where they're from? Wow. So, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's what the bread liar out there eating are <laughs> zebra finches, so, cockatiels, diamond doves. Yeah, so if I have a bread liar that won't eat, go to the pet store and get, like, five parakeets for, like, 20 bucks, and then we'll go from there, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Perfect. So I've often, I've often wondered then, you know um, – what see i don't know maybe i'm missing it but there's not a whole lot of like uh like when you're looking up on google scholar or stuff there's not a whole lot of like work that's been done with with bread lie so it's hard to see like you know something that you were talking about when it got down to 27 degrees now i know they've done that with diamond pythons where they study like you know what's the temperature when they're coiled up and how do they you know they're in these microclimates and stuff so I would imagine that they're kind of doing the same thing, but I don't know. I would find it interesting to find out, you know, what what are those temperatures that they're able to – because obviously they're not dark. I mean, they're darker, I guess, mm-hmm. but they're not black like a diamond python. So, you know, they're not absorbing the sun the same way. So, I don't know. That would be interesting. I wonder why there's not a lot of work with them. Well, uh, well some of it is the fact that they're just in a region where not a lot of uh... – Universities are going to want to travel to <laughs> sure. go look for snakes. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a I good mean, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere out there. There's not a lot of uh, <laughs> not a lot of places a grad point. student would want to hang out at. Yeah, but um, all three of us would. I don't. My thought about that yeah. is then, what? Yeah. I said all three of us would volunteer. No problem. If I was a grad student <laughs> still. Geez. Hell yeah. But uh, uh, that'd be yeah, so could, cool. 
I guess I imagine that if you're traveling out that way, once you're like there, you know, I mean, we've heard Scott before talk about his travels out, you know, going into the quote unquote outback and, you know, you have to have extra gas and tires and, you know, all mm-hmm. this stuff. Cause if you break down, you're kind of screwed. So, um, mm-hmm. hmm. so do you think that, yeah, have, uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was saying, I've always kind of wondered if they're a uh, more mobile python species than what you would typically see with the carpet pythons. Because if you look at – I mean, if you think about it, you're not going to be wanting to hang out in the same spot when it's 110 degrees as you were when it's 27 degrees outside. So I kind of wonder if they have like a a place way up in the mountains where they go to certain parts of the year and then they kind of travel around the water other parts of the year. You know, it seems to me like – yeah, you'd want to be traveling a whole lot more. Right. So Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, so you think that they're eating uh, a varied diet out there in the wild for sure, uh, birds, mammals, majority birds? Um, well, like you said, there hasn't really been a lot of studies on that. But um, judging by the amount of bird life and kind of the different size of it, I would say the bulk of their diet would most likely be birds. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got um, – Lots of different species of songbirds that live out there that'd probably be a good meal for a you know a younger animal like a yearling, all the way up into the black cockatoos that are you know probably about the size of a crow or a little bit bigger, which would probably make a good meal for a big adult female mm-hmm. um there's also a few species that have more or less gone extinct that I think were at one point in time a really major food source for these animals um mm-hmm. I've been looking at the uh Aluru national park and they are doing introductions of the mala or the uh, rufous hair wallaby mm-hmm. which um used to be a very common animal in there but they are a tiny species of wallaby where from what i read on there they are only about 900 grams as in a, a maximum adult size okay so when you think about a rat wow. being you know four to six hundred grams for a really big one kind of makes me think that yeah. these eight-foot pythons you see every once in a while are probably munching on these hair wallaby at one time. Right. And there's a few species of, um, you know, there's a few species of rodent. There's a few species of, um, they're called antichinas. I don't quite know the correct pronunciation for that. But um, they look very similar to a short-tailed possum. Okay. And that they uh, are probably only about three inches long or so which, I mean, I'm sure that they're eating those, too. There's a couple species, the nephris geckos or the knobtail geckos. Um, you got a couple species of blue-tongued skink. I think you have the centralian blue-tongued skinks, which I really would like to get a hold of. And the uh, – <laughs> the I can't remember the exact – I think they're – I've always called them pinecone skinks, but they're not called that. They're bobtails, something like that. Shinglebacks, yes, that's the word. Yeah. yeah, they have a few species of shinglebacks out there too, so I'm sure that all of those animals are uh, on the menu. On the menu, yeah. <laughs> would, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> For a okay. python. All right, so, yeah, so, that I mean, for people that, I think the important point that people should understand is like, you know, I think a lot of times people think that they're just carpet pythons and you know i guess there's still some people out there that put them as a subspecies but 
they never were a subspecies. They always were a full species. Uh, you know, so, and the reason is, is because of, you know, they're surrounded by a desert. So there's really not a whole lot, uh, you know, they're not coming out of there yeah. anytime soon. <laughs> Maybe one day <laughs> if the, if the, <laughs> Global change, uh, I mean, global warming or whatever. Maybe hey, it'll be a jungle that. again. That's, <laughs> maybe maybe it'll all mix together. That's how you Burmese know? pythons got in trouble, okay? You knock that talk off right now. So, right. no. So, but so here's my well, question. Uh, I think as global warming is going on, they're afraid of uh, more desertification of Australia. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. That's kind of a big Everything worry over there. But um, if you're talking about the uh, taxonomy of Brettles pythons, there's actually quite a few differences as far as uh, body size, scalation. They have a lot more scales than carpet pythons do, and they oh, yeah. think that is something they've evolved uh, to help retain moisture and kind of keep dust out between there. But uh, their heads are very, very different looking than a carpet pythons as far as uh, just they have these little beaded scales all over it versus the kind of larger scales that a carpet python has. Mm-hmm. And um, Almost rough scale-ish. I think... Cool. Very similar, uh, like an Angolan python a little bit, yeah, but not as bumpy. But um, yeah. they've also done uh, molecular work where they've used a uh, molecular clock, mm-hmm. which um, those they kind of determine how many mutations an animal will get over a certain number of generations, and they'll use mm-hmm. that to predict um, the number of mutations it took to separate two species. So they've done mm-hmm. that. And we're able to determine that Centralian carpet pythons, our bread lie, diverged from the Spilotas about 10 to 14 million years ago, I think. So there's mm-hmm. a big difference there, especially when you consider humans and chimpanzees split like, what, six? Right. Wow. So there's, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty pretty significant difference, really. Hell yeah. yeah it is. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I noticed that uh so so this is kinda this is kinda jumping around a little bit, but I noticed that when earlier you posted a whole bunch of pictures of uh wild bread lie in the uh in the chat and mm-hmm. I can't help but notice the color of of these guys. So it's almost like it's the opposite of what you see with carpet pythons. It seems that I mean some of these are just like the first I guess it's like the first two you posted up the red on these things is oh intense. yeah um, yeah it's just crazy and it just seems like uh, yeah and then there's uh, the ones after Scott's pictures uh, that one that first one is just like again the red is just insane um, what do you think is the difference between do you think that this is just like one of those things with like some are going to be nice and some are not? And, uh, or do you think that something else is going on? I think it's a mixture of a lot of different factors. Some of it is the fact that, um, they're getting a lot more ultraviolet radiation out in the wild. Some of it's kind of a picture taker bias where, you know, you can take a, you can find a subpar animal, that's and true. not post a picture of it, but if you find a really yeah, great that one, that's true. the one you're going to put online. Yeah. Um, some of it's the fact that uh, there really hasn't been a lot of selective breeding work done with bread lie. They kind of uh, no. had a similar curse to walnut pythons, where when they first came in, they were really, really expensive. You know, I think bread mm-hmm. lie, when they first 
the first clutch of them, I think, was worth 10000 each or something like that, something crazy. Wow. Um, which means you're just going to take whatever you can get whenever you can afford a pair. You know, you're not going to be mm-hmm. trying to pick out, oh, this is the nicest one, this is the second nicest one, I'm going to try and breed these two together. It's like, well, I have two of them now. I spent ten grand. here's my bragging rights. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as price has gone down, <laughs> yeah, as uh, price has gone down on them, they just kind of went the same way Woma Pythons did, where they're just not exciting versus, you know, Jungle Carpet Pythons, which came in here, I, they probably came in here at 50 bucks a piece. And people saw that and said, I'm going to start breeding that. And you get to where you are where people, because people back then were able to kind of look through several of them and say, okay, well, I want this one and this one. They're going to breed. I'm going to hold back the best ones here. Um, do, you, do, you think that also, do you think that also the fact that bread lie are in a different breeding um, time frame than, say, most of the other reptiles that are bred, or I should say most of the other pythons um, go. You know, I mean, here in America, uh, most of us are November, December, cool down, January, cold, you know, February, March, warm back up, getting clutches in April, that kind of deal, whereas they're completely different. You think it just took right. people a long time to figure that out maybe or? Um, maybe. I think Casey Lazic, who was the first person in the U.S. to breed them, was uh, fairly successful. The first, you know, for the first several years, he was, uh, he had mature animals. But I'm sure a lot of people kind of want to put every, quite literally, every snake in the same box where, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be here, you have to be kept at 80 degrees with an 88-degree basking spot, and then for wintertime, I'm going to cool you down to 72, and then you're going to breed sometime in you know, December. And with Correct. bread lie, that's just, not, that's just not what they do. And Correct. you add on the fact that bread lie, they uh, take so much longer to mature, even the males. Uh, mm-hmm. It just kind of makes a recipe for people getting tired, even if they come in with great aspirations of, I'm going to selectively breed these animals. So... Some of that just makes it a little bit more, I wouldn't say difficult, but it's a different way of thinking that some people just don't want to do. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I guess what I was saying is, is that at the time it seemed like people were looking for the easy, I shouldn't say easy way to breed, but you know what I mean? It's like they kind of fit into the same type of thing, especially if you're going to venture out into a different species than what you already had. So obviously right. Casey Lasik. He's going to have no problem breeding them, but I'm just thinking of maybe the reason why they're, as a species, haven't progressed so much as as much as, say, jungle carpets is because, let's face it, jungle carpets, you could breed with your eyes closed. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're Some almost as easy as IJs. Shut up. <laughs> they're shut almost up. as easy as IJs. but you. But I'm sorry, I cut you I off. Was, you were going to say I, you probably you probably don't remember what you're going to say, but um, I, I don't actually. Ah, all right, <laughs> my fault. So you <laughs> that's be, all you good. Um, we were talking about uh, what was that? Well, I was going to say I was going to so say we were talking about a different coloration in the wild, but mm-hmm. yeah. So how do you oh, think okay, that translates? Yeah, well, we were going over. Go ahead. I was saying they have a different diet in the wild too where they might have more access to 
vitamins to go along with that UV lighting. Um, I'm trying to provide my animals with UV, but I haven't really seen much of a difference. So kind of my thought process with that is um, UV lighting allows for a process to take place. and But for a process of pigment building, you need the supplies to do so. Right. So I'm thinking these animals, they're getting birds that have been eating seed. They're, eating, they're getting mammals that have eaten certain types of bugs which they'll eat and the body will process using um, the way cells do with ultraviolet lights mm-hmm. uh, in order to help build better pigments. If okay. that makes sense. I feel like I just kind of butchered my thought there. No, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. So so let's talk about this a little bit. and Oh, and maybe you can jump in here too if you want. But uh, Okay. As far as feeding, do you do a varied diet? And I know that just recently you started with um, the uh, your homemade sausages and stuff. <laughs> so <sausages>. maybe <laughs> maybe you could talk a little bit about that and your approach to feeding. Yeah. Um, I varied. I well in the past I've varied it a little bit where I'll give them maybe a day old chick every once in a while. You know, maybe every third meal, and then substitute in rats. I haven't done a lot of experimenting until recently but uh for the people listening right now what eric is talking about is recently i bought i got a uh sausage grinder for christmas and i decided that i was going to start kind of making my own supplemental food so that the snakes would kind of have a bigger variety of vitamins and different pigments and things like that okay so so the first batch i made like, what are you grinding in here? Like, is this, like, our, our, our first off, a couple questions about the sausage. One, what is the okay. casing? And Pig intestine. Are we chicken, chicken intestine? Okay. Are pig we, intestine. Pig intestine. All right. Are we doing full yes. prey item? Yes. Okay. Well, kind of. Go the fish right. are um, whole red snapper. With the inte- well, they have oh the intestines taken out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is gonna sound kind of crazy. Um, great. They have the head, it. eyes, <laughs> fins, oh, God. Uh, all right. scales, all that kind of stuff. So that <laughs> made about sixty-five percent of it. Shipper, I mean, like, wait, it's a <laughs> I got right? a heavy-duty thing, man. This thing cost like two hundred bucks. Um, I got it. Eric, well, the idea came from um, what? <laughs> Can we, uh, I'm asking Eric if we can get like a Morelia Python radio meat grinder. I don't want to do it for the snakes. <laughs> I just want one. I don't know why. I just want to like put a whole uh, in there and watch it come out. But anyway. Oh my uh, god, that was such a pain too, and it stunk. But uh, <laughs> snakes liked it. <laughs> oh my god, All man, right. it smelled so bad. Well, I assume. So. <laughs> but um, I got the idea from uh, raw dog food recipes. But okay. the fish, I picked specifically because of the amount of vitamin D that red snapper has in it. They are, they have probably one of the highest vitamin D concentrations that you can find in any kind of meat. So Mm -hmm. I looked over there and kind of, you kind of read through the raw dog food recipes. They said that you're supposed to use uh, 12% organ meat. So I kind of did my research as to 
what would be the best one for that. And beef liver kept coming up as being something that's low in fat. It has a huge range of uh, vitamins and minerals in there. So I kind of uh, decided that that was going to be my source of organ meat, at least for these little supplemental first round of sausage maker of sausages that I made. Um, then I used – I was going to use uh, whole ground-up day-old chicks, but my mm-hmm. freezer was cracked open by somebody. I have no idea who. Right. right. Yeah, uh, it was me. That, per- but, that, per- that person other than you that was down there, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it uh, ruined my freezer and everything inside of it. Okay. So uh, I decided I was going to just kind of find something to work, and I found uh, chicken feet at the grocery store I was going over to. So I decided I would use those instead. Next time I will not be using anything like that. I'll just be using the whole uh, ground-up day-old chick and or quail. But that's just for roughage, a little bit extra bones, a little bit extra bone marrow, some skin. Mm -hmm. And then I put uh, 5% plant matter. And the idea behind that, and I used blueberries for those. That was just kind of what I had around at the time. But the idea was if a snake is eating an animal that recently ate, isn't it also digesting the food that's in that animal's stomach? True. So I don't I don't really know uh, how well they're able to digest plant matter. I don't know if anybody's ever gone through, so I kind of kept it a little bit lower. But mm-hmm. – um, Blueberries were kind of picked because they have a lot of antioxidants in them. They have kind of a higher uh, vitamin range, but there's not a lot in there. Okay. So about how – obviously you can control how big these sausages are, which that must have been fun trying to learn to do all that Oh, it was disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so gross. My days with a a pinky press, but anyway – so you you've you've made the sausages and obviously uh so far you've been making what sizes uh, uh enough for adults or are we sticking just to juveniles? Well, I've only successfully gotten two of them to eat them out of trying okay. it on four. Okay. So uh I tried to base it off the size of mice, which is something I will not be doing again because uh turns out if you make something the size of a rat pup, it will be like three times heavier than a rat pup. Oh, God. So okay. I kind of <laughs> – I didn't think about how dense it was going to be until after I fed uh, a yearling what would be the equivalent of like a large medium rat. So <laughs> she still hasn't pooped after that. I'm kind of wondering when that's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. I was like, yeah, so, that, was, that was dumb. That was – that's a thing that we have to consider that I didn't even think about until you mentioned it. But – so yeah, they're a lot more dense. From, aside from the red snapper and the chick and the quail, have you ground? Have you have you been eyeballing anything else? Uh, rabbit. Um, I've or, thought about using rabbits before. I haven't been able to come up with somewhere to uh, get a hold of them just yet. Okay. I mean, I know you can get them frozen online, but I usually uh, I live close to Mice Direct, so I usually okay. just drive up there and get stuff. I don't really order any kind of frozen food online. So I might kind of have right. to learn how to do that pretty soon if I'm going to want to start using rabbit. Um, okay. I thought about using quail. I can get a hold of frog legs. I can get a hold of raw squid, which I think that would actually be really good question. for. 
Uh, which one? Uh, the frog, because I've heard that they're starting to make the frog sausages, um, and that was always something that perplexed me that could be used for, say, some of the snakes that start off on amphibians. It's almost like part of me is like, do I want to consider getting, you know, gecko sausage if they make it So for <laughs> if I get Dominican babies? So it's uh, it's something that I was going to ask about was the frog legs. So. And squid, really squid. Yeah. Apparently it's really uh, low in fat and not difficult to come by. That kind of surprised me. I haven't been able to look over to see if it's salted or not. I just kind of walked through the Asian market and realized there's a lot more uh, <laughs> there's a lot more fish available than I thought there would be. That depends on where where you're getting it. You got you guys are right. giving me flashback to my when I first started in the supermarket business. I mean, I had to grind up fish all day long and grind up uh, ground meat and you know all this kind of stuff and make uh, store made <laughs> sausages and. Oh, oh man! Gosh. <laughs> uh, good times. So, but uh, I'm really trying to look into the uh, vitamin content of a lot of that stuff. Like I said, I'm not going to be one of those guys that only feeds this. It'll probably be like maybe a once a month, maybe every three weeks or so kind of thing for younger ones. Um, like I said, I've just kind of picked these prey items at, for their vitamin content and fat levels. As of right now, which is why I picked uh, beef liver, too. kind of gives you a little boost of vitamin A and all kinds of minerals yeah. in there. Now, are you then, worrying uh, about things as far as, like, if it's grass-fed or organic or if there's hormones in it or anything like that, or just it is what it is? That is something I looked into. I tried my best yeah. to find uh, just raw, unprocessed things like that. Uh, there's That's a butcher difficult. shop down the road, so I think I'm going to ask them. That's probably your better along bet. with the yeah. taxidermy shop. So, yeah, I can get some yeah. venison pieces. Oh, That's man. probably a good deal. Like, that probably, but it's like you're going to get like the hunks that you're going to have to like pick it up with a shovel. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm, cur- I'm curious about like your thoughts of what you hope to accomplish. Are you, are you doing this for? you think it's just overall better health or are you trying to see if it affects the color, the pigment or, you know, what, what are your thoughts or just trying to get it as close to what they would have if they were in the wild? Well, I got the idea listening for one to Nick Martin's show with the um, guys from the Reptilinks and also listening to guys who keep blackheaded pythons. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to experiment because that's something I want to get into one day. And since I don't have them now, I figured I'd try and, try and see if the bread lie would take it. Um, right. Right now it's just kind of as a supplemental food. I just want to gotcha. see if it's going to make their colors a little bit better, see if there's any kind of difference in the way they act. Um, after going through the process of making it, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how much more I'm going to really experiment around with it. I'll probably try it a few <laughs> more times, but... They're kind of a pain to make. Yeah. And it's definitely not a thing that I would recommend for the squeamish. So, uh... Uh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here would be my next question. Have you ever thought of just using supplementation? 
I have. I've um I've wondered a couple times if you can just inject a rat with uh liquid macaw pellets or something like that. I don't know macaw pellets. Why liquid macaw pellets? I couldn't find another liquid vitamin, to tell you the truth. I've kind of done little bits of research on it. Oh man. Yeah, but I don't know the right amounts of stuff to try on that, so I don't really want to mess around with the risk of Overdosing yeah, a snake on vitamins. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Because I mean, I know, a couple of these um, things, especially uh, vitamin A, is pretty toxic. Whenever you uh, yeah. ingest too much of it. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Like, I saw mm-hmm. a post. I can't remember where it was, but there was some people talking about um, just a varied diet in general in snakes, and that. Over time, if you're just feeding rodents that, um, you know, I don't know if it's specific to carpets or if this is just pythons in general, but um, hair can sometimes build up in the digestive tract um, because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not really eating that type of diet, uh, create blockages and stuff like that. Whereas if you're mixing it up, um, you know, uh, you, maybe you won't run into that problem. Do you guys? Um, well, do you, Casey, do varied diet where you might feed rodents and then switch over to quail and switch back to rodents? And uh, as far as like I do, do use uh, day-old chicks. Okay. I haven't found a good source of quail yet. Okay. Uh, I'm sure if I looked around just a little bit more, I'd be able to find somebody that breeds quail near me, but. Um... I don't know if carp. I kind of wonder if carpet pythons really be affected by fur that much. They're kind of big mammal eaters, aren't they? At least mammal yeah, and well, I'm well, sure with something like uh, eastern hognose or indigos or something that's naturally kind of a reptile eater, I bet well, you'd have problems with that. But I, I thought the same thing. But I think it was one of the guys from the Reptilinks that actually commented about somehow it. Uh, you know, like I said, creates uh, over time uh, could create, I mean, doesn't necessarily mean that all snakes will fall into that, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, because it's a different rodent. Uh, I don't know. I'm just different kind of fur or something like that, but it's like, I I personally haven't had that problem. Have you guys, I I've never had that problem. I've never had that problem, but the idea that of a of a varied diet is something I would like to get into, but I'm too chicken shit that I'm going to get them caught. <laughs> like, they're going to be like, I only want trout now, and then I'm going to be like, well, shit. So it's, uh, I don't want to do that. And um, the one species that I uh, definitely would want to kind of push towards that would be uh, my white lips because they're the only ones that I have that cough up hairballs. And part of me is like, I don't know if pythons are supposed to do that or if that's just, you know, a product of you eating an animal that doesn't agree with your internals. So I don't know what's going on with that. So if I could move the white lips onto something like that, I would love to. But so far, there hasn't been a problem, and I'm probably not going to do anything until, you know, one arises. So, Hmm. yeah. I've I've heard of white lips doing that before. It's kind of strange. Uh, uh, Kandoya apparently is, cough up fur balls too. It is the weirdest. And thing. Kandoya, and they're mostly frog eaters in the wild, aren't they? Yeah, 
I mean, it, it's the weirdest thing, and when they do it, it looks like, I mean, I, I assume everybody at one point has watched one of their snakes regurgitate a meal or something. So, and it's not as simple as laying there and goes, bleh. It's like they're moving around. The, you see the bulge coming up. With white lips, because the hairballs are so tiny, the thing's just writhing around. You're like, what's going on? And then the hairball falls out. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I thought you were dying. So it's it's a wonderful trick to play on new white lip owners because they get this animal, and then, like, a month down the road, they're like, do they cough up hairballs? I'm like, yes. So... <laughs> Mm. Watch out for that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay. So, and and how? Uh, like, what's your approach for feeding? I mean, are you feeding what weekly? Do you have a schedule? No schedule? What's your What's your thoughts when it comes to that? For breath, uh, depends on the age of the animal. Okay. Okay. Uh, babies. So maybe uh, you know, birthed up to maybe 15 months old or so. They're getting fed once a week, and I just do mice for that period of time. Uh, I start Adult? them out on hoppers. No, well, I start them out on hoppers when they're young, and then okay. kind of work them up into adults as big as I can get them. Gotcha. Uh, my goal is to have you eating adult, or to have a snake eating adult mice by the time they are ten months to a year, and by that time I will work kind of getting the biggest mice I can until I can switch them over to rat pups or weanling rats. So once they're up to about that size, I will feed them. Uh, Females will still feed once a week. Males will switch over to a two-week cycle. But uh, females, I'll give them a weanling rat, and then I'll give you – next week I'll give them a Dale chick and kind of just keep alternating between those two. Uh, Goal for males – is to have them up to right around 900 or so grams by two and a half years old. And then females, uh, by the time you're right around three, I want them to be six-ish feet. So going into third and a half year, uh, right around breeding size, which I think for this species would be 2,000 grams, 2,500 to 3,000. But kind of a growth chart like that. But my thoughts on adult snakes is that every carpet python I've ever seen has had just a huge lump in its belly, which makes me think that most adult carpets are probably only going out and they're eating maybe one or or not one, probably four or five big meals a year. I don't really know if they are designed to eat once every. 14 days or whatever it is most captive keepers keep them at because most people have their snakes so fat. Mm-hmm. So um, for the ones that I guess once they reach five years old, I haven't really gotten the ones I've raised up. I want them eating larger meals less often. Like my male, yeah, my male that is going on 13 right now, he goes on a seven-month food strike every single year. And then he'll wow. eat maybe five meals a year. I mean, as far as body shape, guys, he is awesome. I mean, he looks just like a wild carpet python should. I mean, got that muscle tone on him, skinny, long, big head. That's and, great. Uh, mm-hmm. So I kind of want most of them to kind of have a similar look to that. A little bit chunkier on the females, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the only adult I have right now is the stonewashed girl, and she was overweight when I first got her. So I've mm-hmm. kind of had her dieting on the on the chicks and smaller mice or smaller rats last year. This year, uh, she has only eaten one rat, which is it was it was huge because I've already done my cooling cycle for the year. I don't know if um, they're going to breed, so I've kind of just decided, okay, I'm going to let you know this is the time of year it gets cold, and if you want to go, you can go, but I'm not really pressuring you to. Mm-hmm. So um, I probably, after that gigantic rat, like I said, that rat man was probably 600 grams. It was huge. It was one of the biggest rats I've ever seen. Uh, she probably mm-hmm. won't eat again until, like, March, maybe. Okay. So <clears throat> so you you somewhat so, so let me ask you this with the bigger meals do you compensate with a higher hot spot do you find that that's necessary or and what are your temps that you're shooting for um i kind of do a warmer hot spot than most people do i mean it's about 90 to 92 down there so okay. i guess most people are keeping their stuff at 88 so it's not that much warmer yeah and keep in mind I'm only doing, like, large rats when I say a big meal. I'm not feeding them, like, three-pound rabbits or anything like that. And that one rat was just uh, (laughs) to kind of jumpstart a reproductive system if she's going to want to breed this year. Sure. But um, cold side would be upper 70s, low 80s during the daytime. And then at nighttime, I don't use any kind of ambient heat heat in the room. So it cools down to whatever that room is. I temp the room this morning at 65, but it's really unseasonably cold over here right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got our yearly snowstorm in North Georgia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's really, that's it? Yeah. The yeah, one. that's that's all. So let me ask you this so question. So it cooled it down pretty well in the house, but during the summertime in the day, or in the nighttime, it gets down to 72, 74 at night, which okay, is pretty typical for what these guys are seeing in the wild. What about... Um, so, so what about like uh, what do you use for caging and all that kind of stuff, size wise and how it progresses uh, from babies <laughs> to adults? I'm actually pretty excited because I am uh, kind of revamping my caging this year. I uh, just put in an order with uh, Dragon Caging, which is a uh, local guy. He's from Greenville, South Carolina. He uses uh, PVC and acrylic. Yeah, I have. I have one custom. of his racks, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's a good rack. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Ross. Yeah. Uh, I use – I'm for my males, I'm kind of giving them their permanent caging this year where all the – the caging is going to be kind of a hybrid between a rack and a cage. It's pretty cool from what he's described to me. It's um, – they're stacked like a rack. Mm. They have shelves like a rack. But they're custom PVC enclosures. So they're 36 wide, 18 long, and then uh, 15 mm-hmm. tall. But they have uh, fixtures for UV lights, and they have 80-watt uh, heat, pan- heat panels on the top. So they can get that uh, heat going down on their backs instead of having belly heat coming up. That's good. But um, they can close up similar to shelves. And they just fit right in there. So that's kind of where I'm going to be keeping my males 
as of next or next few months. But uh, right now I've got the cages from him. I have two terrariums in my room, which I keep the uh, 2015 yearlings. I kind of like to watch them. Yeah, you know, they're in just exoterras. Right now, kind of simple. They have UV lights. They've got uh, halogen bulbs, um, little branches, hides, stuff like that. Um, okay. I have a pair together right now, just in case they ever decide they want to breed, which are my uh, hypo and stonewashed. I have my one, the one big male, the one old one. He is in a uh, by 18 by 15 that uh, is a little bit warmer because I kind of screwed up a few years ago and got them really, really, really cold without a hot spot, and he kind of still iffy sometimes as far as okay. the goes, which is entirely my fault. Um, so really it's kind of a smorgasbord right now, but it's been a goal of mine this year to uh, get everything streamlined. The big girl right now is in a 24 by 48 from uh, Ross, but I made a custom cage that is five and a half feet long by two and a half feet wide and two feet tall. But it has, um, it's kind of based on Justin Julander's design that he uses in uh, Complete Carpet Python, where it has the okay. shelves underneath. So it has holes on the bottom so they can go into the hide and kind of use those as nest box, hide boxes, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's Which cool. I am, yeah, I'm really, really excited about trying to get them in that. I've had it built for a long time. I'm just trying to figure out how to how to heat it. It's Which I think I'm going to have to put. I had the radiant heat panel on top, but I'm going to uh-huh. have to move it over to the bottom or the sides pretty soon. I think. Some I've seen. Uh, I've had good success with radiant heat panels being attached to the back wall. Mm-hmm. Because I think then it kind of shoots. Then it kind of shoots out. And it gets top, bottom, and floor kind of deal all at once. Um, other than that, for cages where the the top is not very large, or it's an arboreal cage, and you want the heat to be kind of at all the perches at once. But um, it's kind of it, people don't really think about it. But once you get an entire snake room kind of like uniform, it has a completely different feel to it. And you're like, oh yeah, now we're now we're serious. Now we're cooking with gas. So. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. So, Yeah, which I think that uh, kind of as I mature and go along with my snake breeding career or snake keeping mm-hmm. career, whatever it ends up being, I think that is what I'm going to keep most uh, females in is some version of that. I'm going to try and make sure every custom cage I ever have built after this has those shelves underneath or some kind of built-in hide. Yeah, that, that Just makes to kind of give them a... Mhm. You know, yeah, kind of give them somewhere shift, to go. And you shift stuff over. Like uh, this entire year, I've started to do more hides where it has a lid, and I don't disturb the animal as opposed to like the inherent plastic with like a U cut in it that they can slither underneath. This is an uh, actual bin with a lid and a circle cut in it, so they can go in it, and I don't have to disturb them when I'm cleaning. I just pick up the whole box and move it. So that's something I've kind of moved forward to more. Um, so yeah, you, you learn these tips and tricks as you roll. So whatever works for you, but let's, uh, let's move on to, um, 
bloodlines. Can you kind of go into a little bit about the bread lie uh, bloodlines, you know, what you're currently working with, kind of give us a little bit of an overview of some of the ones that are out there and what are the ones that people might want to look out for when buying a bread lie is like, these are the good ones. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, as far as bloodlines go, and when I mean bloodline, I mean you bring in a pair, and then that pair breeds, and everything from there is a bloodline. Um, mm-hmm. There are between five and three, depending on kind of who you talk to and trying to figure out what animals are related to what. Uh, the oldest two are the Casey Lazic bloodline, which came over here mm-hmm. in 1995. He brought over uh, 2.3 or 3.2 siblings. Uh, two of which ended up being uh, the original Het Stripes. Just he had no idea; it just kind of happened to happen. There are the Doug Price line, which were brought over here a year later, and um, no one really knows quite where those animals came from. They might have come from the same source. They might have come from somewhere completely different. I don't know where they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, then recently, Nick has brought over three more bloodlines, which are the Henrik Afors, which are quickly becoming really, really popular with the Brettles Python keepers. Okay. Uh, the Paul Harris line, which came from Paul Harris at UK Pythons. And the Hypo bloodline, which is another one of those things where nobody really knows where they came from. But they are really, really, really pretty, and they look completely different than anything else as far as coloration goes, eye color, all kinds of stuff. So a couple markers for all the bloodlines. If it is a stonewash or a stripe, it is from Casey Lasik bloodline. If you found it at a show, anytime before 2012, it's more than likely either a Casey Lasik or a Doug Price bloodline animal. Uh, They've been mixed up. You know, thrown around, tossed around, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have something you're not quite sure where it's from, basically you didn't get it from Nick at this point. It is a Casey Lazic or a Doug Price bloodline bread lie. Got it. Um, of those two, uh, people say they look a little bit different. I can't really vouch for that. I haven't really been able to see major differences between the two. Uh, mm-hmm. The Doug Price line, from what I've seen, they do have a habit of throwing these really cool-looking aberrant, kind of reduced pattern looking babies, which has kind of proven just to be a polygenic thing. Okay. Yeah. Which that's kind of what my male looks like. That's part of the reason why it's I was so a, attracted to getting him. So obviously like we're not talking the black that comes in from the tail, right? Or are we just talking more black or it goes higher up? No, I'm talking about the uh the cream colored stripes. The band's going down them. Some of these things looks like somebody took two erasers and went down Uh the back and just left like a dotted line and some side, yeah, and some side stripe stuff. Yeah, they're really pretty. I'm kind of uh, trying to track down as many of those as I can, just to make a little uh, selective breeding project. Yeah. All right. So, I I I only work with I have three LASIK line bread likes. I was the uh, guy who picked them up, I think around 2000, uh, I think I got them from my curtain who got them around 2010, 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. and I got my bread lie. Score. I'm good now. And then everybody <laughs> ruined it by, like, coming out with, like, a shit ton of bloodlines and a ton of morphs and stuff. And I'm like, well, crap. Now I need, like, hypo stonewash and other things like that. So it's like I thought I closed the book on that stuff. So aside from, like, putting aside the hypos and the stonewash and the stripes, is a fours definitely the one that everybody kind of wants to grab, that everybody's kind of gravitating to is the, the bread lock. That's kind of becoming the uh, reputation for being the magic bloodline of Brettles Pythons. I, I it's definitely that. very well deserved. Um, uh-huh. they're, most of them are very, very, very pretty. Like the male I've got is, uh, he's like a discount hypo or something like that. I mean, yeah. they are... They're famous for being a lot brighter orange. Um, from what I can tell, they have a smaller face, too, and their eye color is a little bit different. They have uh, kind of a more blue eye color yeah. than your typical bread light, which has more of a brownish, silvery color. But, um, yeah, people are going crazy over those things just because of how bright orange a lot of them are. Um, I will tell you, though, I have some – I've seen some from every bloodline that are – just as good as any Henrik Afor's animal is. But yeah. Henrik Afor's animals seem to be more consistent as far as being bright orange. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I've got a pair of Lazic lines right now that look just as good as any anything from that other bloodline. So but it's, um, so it's, people also it's say the that Afors. the uh, Paul Harris line... Oh, no, go ahead. I'm saying so the Afors have the reputation for having a really cool stuff, but that's not necessarily saying you're not going to get some cool stuff out of the other bloodlines. Exactly. You know, what I like what I like about the Harris bloodline is the black on the tail. Um, it seems that that one in particular, at least in my group, and I guess I have all the bloodlines. <laughs> I didn't know that the uh, hypo was a bloodline, but um, uh, it might be. I don't quite know. I kind of suspect it right. is, but sure. Don't keep um, your horn just yet, Eric. So, yeah, <laughs> but I do have the Afors, which are beautiful animals. Uh, I do have a Harris female, um, and it just seems that that's more of a brick red, but that black on the tail pops a little more mm-hmm. than I see in the other ones. I don't know if you've seen that as well, Casey. Well, the half black, half red thing is actually a really common look in all the Brettles pythons. Um, I've actually seen some really nice kind of reduced black-looking Harris lines. Uh, Nick has a holdback, I think, that's just like it's one. It's a really, really nice-looking snake from my uh, from my judgment of the species. Um, they Harris lines do seem to be a little bit darker. The Lazic lines kind of are said to be a little bit darker. Just kind of if you were to pick out just a, if you had a group of a hundred of all of them, you're more likely to pick out a really dark one from both those bloodlines. But I've seen some, uh, seen some Afors lines that people have posted up that are kind of doing the half black, half red thing, but they still kind of keep the bright orange look instead of the other lines which seem to kind of range between brick red and kind of a more brownish color. I guess that's, Whenever they start yeah, getting that's a little what, bit older and start blacking out. Yeah. And I, that sounds like, like what you're what, talking about. Yeah, with my, with my group, the Harris is more of a brick red. The Afors are more of that orangey tone. Hypos in a category all by itself, and then like oh, the LASIK are like 
they're pretty animals, but they don't they don't have that same I guess that same pop. You know what I mean? I appreciate it because I love them, but yeah, I, I think if I were to put them on a table, they would be the one that people would be like, eh. <laughs> I want this other one, you know? Yeah, I kind of, that's kind of my experience with them too. Um, like I said, I've seen some amazing Casey Lasgline animals that'll, that are just as good, if not better than most Henrik Afors line animals. But uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, the Afors are the pretty ones. Uh Derek Roddy, though, he actually sent me a picture uh, a few months ago. He got a Mm -hmm. uh, little group of Lazic lines from the first clutch of them back in 1998. And one of the girls he has is amazing. I mean, seriously, like this is like bright orange, low black, you know, stripes like a Bengal tiger. I mean, one of the best looking Brettles pythons I've ever seen. And no kidding. Just a just a Lazic line, you know the most common bloodline of them. But then you'll see some that people will post up, and it's like brown is everything, you know, three fourths of it's just jet black all the way up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's just a lot of variety as far as uh, the amount of melanin these things have, just in general. But um, so obviously we we there's room for you know, selectively, selective breeding, because I have LASIK animals, and out of the clutches, it's like everybody hatched, and everybody looked, nobody looked insane, and I sold the the entire two clutches that I've had, and they're all gone, and now people are posting pictures of them, and some of them, there there have been at least two or three that I'm like, oh, shit, I should have kept that one back. It's like (laughs) bright orange with nice stripes, and like, or it's like this, you know, really deep kind of red with these really nice mm-hmm. cream colors. And I'm like, oh, shit. So it's like, but then, of course, there's that, like you said, there's those few people that post them. I'm like, well, glad that one's gone. It's like there's, you know, variety. And those are the people that the always want to breed them from, my, from what I've seen. And thank you. And they're like, oh, <laughs> these like, species are completely so, cursed as far as selective breeding. <laughs> so obviously – there's room for expansion, not only with the uh, crossing of potential bloodlines or selective breeding that way and the morphs, but even within the bloodlines, like if I was like the next bread like clutch I'm, I hope to hatch, I'm probably going to hold a few back because if I can start really getting some nice bread lie, it, it would be nice to kind of refine that a little bit. So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously do you think that it's when you when you're out there and you're like perusing? Do you think it's kind of still that bread lie are a little underrated? Oh, definitely. People aren't giving them their just dues. I mean, so well, think about it like this: How many guys have you interviewed where somebody will have 15 plus female jungle carpet pythons? I mean, you probably every other show at this point. Right. Uh, how many people have more than? I mean, I was just, I was just talking there. Um, well, quite no, a few. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how many people have 15 plus female brittles pythons for selective breeding? I mean, one person yeah. comes to mind. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't even know if Nick has that many right now. Well, it's like, it, 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 well, yeah, probably. I mean, it, it, Nick's, Nick's the kind of guy though that will sit 
adult female animals because he doesn't want to make 300 of that this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's the thing. But, like, yeah, you're right. There, there doesn't seem to be – people will go around a show and find that black and yellow jungle carpet and be like, that's the one I need for my breeding programs, and they'll build an entire program around it. Nobody's walking around and trying to find the bright red brettles python. If they get it, well, am, they but... already have a brettles, <laughs> and well, you are, and Eric and I would probably do it. But it's like, it, but a select few people are going around trying to find the brettles python and then building a project around that particular brettle. People who buy brettles at like shows and things are because, hey, I got a lone male brettle from like a trade. He's ugly as sin. I might as well put him to work. Kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they're kind of uh, species that seem to be a lot more attractive with the Noah's Ark kind of guys than the, uh, you know, the real specialists that just want to nail down that one thing and kind of go for a lot of different looks to it. Right. So I'm kind of trying to trying to break that to, mold a little bit. Yeah, I, and that's good because I mean, people a lot of times want brettles to chuck them on a table and be like brettles, and then people will buy them and mm-hmm. that's it, and they'll breed their same pair of brettles year after year. Um, and it's like on, on, and I, I unfortunately am totally guilty of this because I only have three brettles and they're all normals. So it's like, I'm, and I didn't, hold hey, there's nothing wrong back. with normal bread lie though. There is nothing wrong. I love them, but I didn't hold anything back. I didn't expand the project at all, but you know, this coming year, you better believe that I am. Cause I got two females that are completely unrelated going to my one male and I'm going to, I'm going to cherry pick the good ones and then let them go. And then of course I unfortunately have to make a phone call to Nick about a bunch of animals. And he always is tempting with his, you know, I'll leave this hypo brittle here. And if it's there, you know, it could probably fit in that box you're getting going. So. I mean, man, you, have you, you've seen a hypo bread light, right? You've seen Eric's. I've been at Eric's place numerous times and, I, oh, those things I are so sit, great, man. I sit here, you should get one. I know. I sit here and I wait because I have Eric over here. And I sit here and I wait patiently for Eric to do things. And then I run over to his <laughs> house and I, like, go through all the pythons that you people don't even know exist or don't even know exist yet. And I pick out mine and then I run back to my house. So I sit here and I wait for Eric. And Eric did a funny thing. He moved. <clears throat> so now... I have to wait for Eric some more. So we have to wait for Eric to do some more stuff with the brettles. So but he'll get yeah. there, and I will. I know where they are, but they are stunning. And uh, he showed me all his all, – it's funny because going over to Eric's place, which is why if you're going to come out the carpet fest, this is the coolest thing. I'm like, I wonder what all the brettles' lines look like. And he sort of starts pulling bins. And I'm like, oh, all right then. So you can sit there. And I go through every single bread of lines. I'm like, I like those. And he goes, those are the ones you want. It's like, that, that was easy. So, <laughs> but it's uh, it's definitely, because they're like, brettles are kind of almost, they, they're very coastal-like in my mind. They're big. They have giant heads. They're, you know, clunky. And, uh, and that's really what speaks to me. I'm a coastal guy through and through. So uh, I would like to expand my Brettles projects. So I'm um, hopefully you guys can start, you know, people like you, Casey, can start breeding them and getting the lines rolling and getting some really pretty ones and do all the work for me 
and then I just give you money and get really nice pretzels. So. Ah, sounds good. That's the place. See, exactly. Everyone's okay with that. <laughs> so. But, um. So. Go ahead. I don't even know what I was going to say. I was going to say, so, uh, what, what about, what about morph? So obviously we talked about the hypo. Um, mm-hmm. we hit a little bit on the, uh, striped, uh, then there's the stone washed. Um, but there's all these, uh, you know, I don't know if yeah, you guys remember that. It hasn't been proved out yet. Melanistic type bread lie. I don't know what the heck happened to that or where that is, but I posted a picture right. in our, uh, little group thing there, but, um, that's a pretty interesting looking snake, uh, for sure. You know anything on that? Have uh, you I'll be honest, it's not that's not quite my thing as far as right. let's go. But um yeah, they apparently there were three of them. Away. Really? Okay. Yeah, there were three of them apparently, and the last I heard, which I was kind of perusing through the uh Aussie Python Python's forms today, and uh last I heard the guy that had one of them he was trying to find a uh, very similar-looking female to breed her, breed him to, mm-hmm. which uh, doesn't make any sense as far as trying to prove out any kind of a morph or anything like that, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what that guy's been doing with at least one of the three. But they've been around for a long time. I mean, they've – I think well, they're wait. like 2007s, some of them. Aren't these, aren't these in the U.K.? I thought they were in the U.K. I don't know if Those there's are something similar. Those definitely Australia, unless I've heard different. There's a reduced <laughs> pattern. There's a quote-unquote reduced pattern line of them in uh, the well, that, UK. That picture I just sent over to the chat, that was from a guy in the UK. Seriously, oh, I, God, one, one I didn't know that. Kid. So, all right. So, obviously, they popped up in Australia and one magically appeared in the UK. We've seen this before. No, these were so. sold uh, – they were sold – well, I shouldn't say UK. I should say Europe. But these were sold right. – I remember somebody else had them. Then they went and sold them. And I can't remember the name. I have it written down somewhere, but they were kind of like this new carpet python uh, breeder that was over there in Europe. And I never heard of them. And I know they posted over on um, – uh, I know they posted on MP. So this was a while ago. That's what I'm saying. That, that, and then they ago. got sold. And I don't know whatever happened to them, but uh, they oh, were interesting for sure. Uh, you know more than I do. Then Ooh. last I heard, they were what? in Australia. But <laughs> I know that there's a guy. I know a guy down there that is working on a melanistic bread lie project. I don't know if it's the same one that you're talking about, but uh, that that I've heard. Um, and apparently, those animals they start out kind normal. of like a weird-looking normal, and then they oh, fade into that kind of black, greenish thing. It's just like poison thing. ivy. It's <laughs> no, that's annoying. annoying. It's very different than no. poison ivy, though. I mean, this thing completely loses its stripes. Yeah, yeah but, everything. Yeah, but what I'm saying is is that there's a gene in boas that, you know, it's like a I know. The animal ages, it gets it, you know, and now it's like two species and, of yeah. snakes, you know, so... I don't know. Any more? Yeah, Blackhead pythons that, do that too. Some of them do, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. any any morph that that comes like I mean, uh, calico in Dominican red mountain boa doesn't start showing up until they turn like two. 
So any morph like that just pisses me off because then I don't know what the hell to do <laughs> with the little one. I don't know what to hold back and what to yeah, let like, go. Oh, damn it. So, yeah, I already you hold them all back. You hold back now. I can't. Yeah. Not all of us are crazy. But part of me is like that brettle morph does nothing for me because you've taken everything that's cool about a brettle and deleted it. <laughs> it's like that's, yeah, that's completely happen. where I am with now, it. Now, I'm not saying that it couldn't become something because, like, who to say that that wouldn't become, like, if you bred that to some hypos or some really good, <coughs> excuse me, red reddles that wouldn't become, like, bright red fading to black. Then I'm like, all right, now I'm on board. But right now it's like, eh, I, I, got, I got nothing for this one. But Man, you, you guys got no imagination. Cool. No imagination. Shut up. <laughs> That's what I pay you for. You're my imagination. Jeez. But, um, <laughs> shut up. I guess the Frankenstein in me is like, you know, what can I, what, what can I do with this? <laughs> Imagine, you know, ah, gross. Is an albino cross with a diamond. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, mean. I don't mean crossing it to <laughs> other carpets. I'm talking about keeping it in the. You know my feeling on that. I know. Yeah. I know. That's, that's I know. the line you don't cross, or that's, that's my line, line I don't really. cross. <laughs> yeah. There's that line, but it, it's I, I don't know, but it would be cool to see it come to some kind of fruition just because it's another potential project at this point. And I would like to see what somebody would do with it. Like Eric or Casey, if you guys could like cross that into your hypo lines, your That'd be cool to see what it makes with a stone wash. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you don't get, like, I mean, it'd probably be like white animal. and then red and then black. Exactly. It'd be, be kind of neat. If you, if you start, it'd be kind of cool if you kind of get this animal that kind of goes from, I don't know, hell, you can even have it a really heavy pattern stone washes just starts fading to black after a certain point and it just is black. So it would be very cool. Um, but you know, I don't know if we've ever heard anything from it. And I, and the other thing is that there should be new combination morphs of brittle, uh, coming out in the next couple of years. Yeah. I'm working on that, but that yeah. would take a long because, time to mature. Yeah. Cause it's, cause I, we gotta be working on hypo stripes uh, mm-hmm. hypo stone wash, then striped. I'm stone trying wash, that this year. Then hypo striped stone wash. Then I think that's pretty much as far as we can go, right? Currently. Uh, currently, yeah. Currently, and I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious to see what a stone wash stripe will actually look like. It's either going to be a really, really cool thing. Or, or it can be something where it's kind of just, meh. Which I kind of feel that yeah. way about the stripes to begin with. Like mm-hmm. I said, I don't work with any uh, visual stripes solely because I'm a, I'm more of a color guy than a pattern guy mm, when okay. it comes over to snakes. So the uh, the stripe brittles, most of the red coloration is on their back. Right. With regular brittles pythons. But the stripe goes right down the back, so you kind of remove all that red coloration and end up with maybe just two lines of kind of sort of red, but really more brown. And then it really just kind of does this weird thing where it just churns up all the pattern along the sides too and turns into a white patternless belly. But uh, all that kind of makes a combination of not a very red brittle python. There there are exceptions to that. I mean, Nick has that one big gigantic female that uh, Mm -hmm. has some of the best coloration I've ever seen, but... Yeah, for the most part, the striped brittles pythons, they kind of, eh, a little brown for me. I'm hoping uh, maybe, <clears throat> maybe with some, you know, 
God, this we're probably talking what twenty years from now. <laughs> mm. Um that uh you might be able to see an improvement in that, you know. I think if if people work towards trying to maybe put some color in there, who knows? Maybe the hypo stripe will will jack it up. I have a stripe will probably end up looking pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe. I mean yeah. there's potential. So well, that's the cool thing. But I man, mean, okay. So, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying the combination that's going to be awesome in a couple of years is going to be the hypo stone wash. I mean, yeah. those two yes. together are going to make the brightest orange thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Because the stone wash gene to begin with acts not really like a hypo, but kind of like a hypo. It gives it a different kind of orange. Is the way I've described it to people. It's like brighter and a little bit creamier. And it mm-hmm. seems to reduce the black maybe by a little bit. You know, not enough to call it a hypo, but we'll say like twenty to thirty percent of the black kind of goes away when a stonewash gene is put on a brettles python. Put that on with a hypo, where the hypos are already just, you know, blazing orange and all that stuff. <laughs> Get some really really pretty stuff coming up in the next couple of years. Whenever those two uh, genes are put together and a little selective breeding is done with them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you be haven't good. even we haven't haven't mixed mixed in the different bloodlines yet. I mean, you know that yeah. that matters mm-hmm. too. You know, so once yeah, you start doing that, wash might be something different. Yeah. Um, Which uh, I mean, I guess we should kind of go in and explain what they are, as far yeah, as the, ahead, all the morphs go. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so the base three morphs, uh, we'll start out with the first one, which was the genetic stripe, which we've already talked about. Uh, first popped up in 1998 with the first ever clutch of brittles pythons ever produced in the United States, which was by Casey Lazic. Just out of, the, out of the blue, didn't know it was going to happen. Gets a new python, and there's a new morphine coming with it. But what it does is it makes a dorsal stripe down the back using the uh, cream pattern, from the little banded stripes most brettles pythons have. And the side patterning of them, uh, it's very broken granity along the sides uh, with red stripes going up along the top, along the top dorsal stripe. Uh, Takes away all belly pattern, which is kind of neat. So they have a clear white belly versus most brettles pythons will have a uh, kind of a speckled yellowish yellowish belly. Um, not a, kind of, as far as selective breeding is done, most of the work has gone towards the stripage because, um, that's kind of the thing Casey Lazic saw when they first came in, you know, the first clutch of them had stripes in them. So he saw those stripes and said, okay, I'm going to breed these animals to make better striped ones instead of making red or brettles pythons, which is kind of part of the problem we've got today as far as, uh, color and quality right but um next official morph is the stonewash those first popped up in 2009 in uh, brian barcheck's collection he thought they were hypo when they first came out so he kind of announced it to the entire world uh raised them up and then they didn't do anything for him ever i don't think he mm-hmm. ever got a stonewash brettles python to breed so a couple years later, a guy named Nick Stark, who I've uh, talked to a couple times, he's uh, he lives close by 
as far as uh, where I live. I haven't actually been able to go out and meet him yet. But he was the second person to ever produce them in 2011. So he looked at them and said, these are these are like calico bread lye or something like that. Um, had a couple issues. The animals got stolen through kind of a long, long story. Oh it's God. not really my story to tell. But uh, eventually he gets two of them back after most of the clutch is starved. And Nick Stark sold them to Nick Mutton, which is where Nick Mutton got his beginning projects from. So Nick got those two animals that were kind of emaciated at the time and the original pair of hets. So that's kind of the origin of where Nick's gotten that project from. And he only recently has been able to uh, been getting it rocking and rolling along. He had a clutch in 2013 where only hatched out one male, I think. And then he had another one where he kept back all the stone washes. And then really in 2015, I believe, was the first year where the stone washes were ever available to the public. And like I've kind of mentioned before, that morph, what it kind of is a – it's a mixture between a lot of different kinds of morphs, actually. It uh, works a little bit like a piebald, a little bit like a hypo, a little bit like a um, something that increases pattern in the front. So you can tell them most easily by the head will look completely normal, and then – about the first third of the body past the neck will be just completely scrubbed down. I mean, it looks like somebody took uh, took a sponge and just kind of patted it a couple times and just erased all the pattern there. But then the uh, the orange on those animals, as I've said before, seems to be a lot brighter and clean and creamier than it typically would be, and you're really going to see that more and more as uh, people are starting to uh, post pictures of a Stonewash Brattles python next to their siblings. Mm-hmm. Where they'll be like, oh, okay, the sibling's kind of cool looking, because really the uh, the original pair from Nick Stark were, they were really nice looking animals. I mean, they were pretty uh, deep red animals. Sorry, deep red uh, Brattles pythons that really kind of lacked a lot of black. But um, so so now hets don't have any kind of visual marker, correct? Correct. Um, right. Nick has told me a couple times he thinks they might be prettier, but like I said, I think that's just because of the quality of the parents. Right. To begin with, you know, I mean, you breed two nice-looking snakes, and you know, you're going to get nice-looking babies. babies. That's kind of why people <laughs> think jagdsibs used to be magical, is because. Well, that's what happens when you breed two really pretty carpet pythons. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, okay, so last one of the official quote-unquote morphs is the hypo. The hypo Mm. brittles are famous for having extremely bright and deep oranges and reds, along with um, a reduced amount of black where the hypo name comes from. I don't think they are a true hypomelanistic animal because usually okay. whenever you see hypos in most everything else, the black will be replaced with kind of a brown or red or something like that. In hypobrettles, the black just kind of goes away, and it's replaced with just whatever the the base color would have been without the black there. Um, there are 
theories right now that it is polymorphic. There are theories right now that it is a codominant trait. Uh, we know it's not recessive. I've heard people say that uh, it might be a locality. And if you look at where I posted up online, one of those brittles that they caught and took pictures of out around the uh, Serpentine Gorge, I mean, that's a hypo, man. There is, if you really? had that in a tub in somebody's room, that thing is a hypo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I so, was thinking earlier. Well, all right then. So, so basically, no more breedings of hypos need to happen before we can start yes. pinning down what this thing is. Okay. Yeah, Nick's trying to prove that out right now. He bred a uh, his male hypo to a uh, female stripe to make hypo head stripes, and okay. he said all of them came out very hypo-y looking. All right. But um, you know, he's got to breed the. Uh, Hypo head male to one of his siblings and probably a another uh, unrelated female to kind of be able to tell for sure exactly how the hypo thing works. But um, yeah, my theory on it is that it's a uh, I think it's a line, or a polymorphic thing. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot okay. of genes going in, kind of like the tigers and everything like that. So uh, as I do my breedings with those, I'm going to refer to them as. Uh, 50% hypo line, 100% hypo line, 75%, just to kind of make sure that somebody's not going to buy a quote-unquote hypo bread lie that turns out it has one hypo grandparent or something right. like that. I mean, I think that's kind of ripping somebody off. Yeah, because if they might raise be. it up, you know, if they raise it up and breed it to an, a normal LASIK line adult female and there, there's a potential that if this is polygenic, you might not get it's like when people grabbed tigers and bred them to their banded coastals and were shocked when nothing popped out striped. So, Right. And, uh, hmm. I mean, that's kind of where I think hypos are going to go to is that okay. unless somebody comes along and says, okay, you know, you're not really selling true hypo bridles, you're selling like, you know, 15% hypo bread lie or something like that. Yeah. No one's going to say You know, it's just going to – the price on is going to drop because the definition of hypo will shift. Because right now it means an animal with almost no black striping on it whatsoever. But I've seen pictures in Australia where people are posting up animals that look a lot like my Henrik Afor's animal, which um, what he looks like is he's just a really, really bright orange brettles python, but he has black outlines on every single one of his bands, which in my mind makes him a perfect-looking – wild type brettles python but i've seen pictures in australia like oh yeah look at this my new hypo i'm like that's that's not a hypo Mm -hmm. but but uh they do gain a little bit of black as time goes on right uh like i have noticed there's kind of two distinct looks to them okay my male is kind of the first type where he had up until like really really recently he didn't have a black scale on his body i mean not anything like that, but he wasn't as bright as some of the other ones I've seen. My female, on the other hand, has kind of gained some black outlines towards the last third of her body or so, and has always been just way brighter than any Brettles python I've ever seen before. So there seems to be kind of, I don't know if that's a uh, just part of the polygenic look of it, or maybe it is a codominant thing, and my male is a super, and my female is a, you know, a het. But uh, time will tell on that one. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Huh. 
And I've kind of seen that trend with uh, other people posting their stuff up too. We'll have animals that are not quite as bright as, say, my female is, but they don't have any black on them. You know, they'll be more like a brick color. Yeah. Right. And then you'll see some people post them up. It's very yeah, buried. posting them up in the chat, and we're going to throw a bunch of pictures up on uh, Morelia Python Radio's Facebook page after the show. But obviously this variation in the morph completely going from, you know, this bright red animal with no black on it to having very little black on it to having just some crazy amounts of color mixed in with black. It, 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 there's obviously variation, and again, right. room for... Breeding of all kinds of stuff, man. Sorts. Yeah, I, Jesus. All right. Damn. <laughs> and I've also noticed some of the hypos. They have almost. Uh, they have that kind of reduced patterny look. I was telling you about the, the Doug Price lines will occasionally have. Yeah. One guy, uh, as of right now in the United States, only uh, Nick Mutton and one other guy have produced a clutch of pure hypo line brettles pythons. And one of the ones the other guy did, it's like a almost a perfect stripe, man. And it's not a it's not really? a recessive stripe. It's just kind of what happened to be born that day. But, I mean, this thing, it's like it's got a long stripe on the last third of its body, and then it kind of breaks up a little bit, and then the other half of it's got kind of a stripe thing going on too. And, yeah, I think uh, I've seen that picture. Nick's, yeah. Yeah, and Nick's fifty uh, percent hypo line het stripe brettles pythons. A lot of them were kind of kind of stripey looking to begin with, which is. Not common for het stripes. I mean, it happens, uh, especially whenever you get into the animals that were line bred for a better stripe. Sometimes the het babies will kind of be kind of blotchy looking, as you would expect. Because um, that's just what those perfectly striped brittle cythons would look like if they didn't have that recessive gene. Mm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Some of the hypo ones kind of hatch out with some weird blotchy stripey kind of patterns too which could be really cool yeah i think there's a there's a there's a ton of room for uh selective breeding with these guys and you know getting different type of looks and patterns and colors and it's pretty cool <laughs> such an yeah. underrated species man i just don't i just don't understand it you know, I, I absolutely... That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, the problem is yeah. I absolutely love love and hate doing this show. Because now I'm like, do I really need Inlands this year? Maybe I should expand on the Brettle Project. God damn it. So, <laughs> it's... Well, they're just like, as good, man. <laughs> I know. And I already have them. But it's like the the idea that you could get so much variation out of one clutch. And then take that one clutch and go five different directions and build five different projects off of whatever babies come out. And this is why I know every once in a while we all feel a little bit burnt out, down, you know, ready to kind of call in the towel when it comes to snake breeding and keeping and all that fun stuff. That's why what's coming in the next few months is always the, the part of the year that gets me back up and running. It's, this is like egg season and baby season because you never know what's going to come out of those little, white round things and you know that's the part that gets me all excited so yeah i'd love to see you know some of these hypo crosses into something cool so, oh yeah casey, that'd be really great casey um 
you know, yeah. we're what? We got about 10 minutes left and stuff. Um, yeah. but, oh, man, I'm sorry about can... that. No, 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 no. 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 This is uh, We Love It. <laughs> <laughs> so we we're going to go into uh, into overtime a little bit. But what I thought maybe, the, you know, one of the last things you could hit on is, A, you know, you've talked about it throughout the show is uh, what you're breeding this year. Um, and B, you know, what's your, what's your approach to trying to breed these guys successfully? Okay. So, uh, this year I have cooled down my, uh, stonewashed female, my hypo male. I was not really planning on my first real attempt to be a morph project like this. I've always been more of a wild type kind of guy, but, um, big male I've got, I kind of, he just hasn't wanted to breed, and a lot of that's because I cooled him down way too much when I first got him. So he's mm-hmm. had a questionable health for the last couple of years, which is entirely my fault. Um, every Brettles python I've ever raised up has had just been just rock solid. It's just bringing adults sometimes makes a, a new host of issues. Sure. But um, what I did with them this year was I would take them out of their cage at night, and I would put them right up against the window. Since I live in the southeast, it doesn't really get too cold down here, and it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to predict exactly when you're going to have temps in the right range. Mm-hmm. Um, with Brettles pythons, everyone, I've, everyone that is consistently successful with them cools them down below 65 degrees, right? Right. So, um, <laughs> and I don't know how long that length of time matters so i cooled mine down for a month and a half i've actually heard the number two weeks thrown around a lot a lot of people only cooled them down to about 60 degrees for two weeks at night and then they breed just fine but uh, i took mine out put them up next to the windowsill in a container together uh got them down to usually most mornings i'd temp gun them around 58 to to 56 uh there's kind of a lot of variation there some nights would get down to the upper 40s some nights it would only be about 60 degrees, um, but they were they were fine. So took them out of cooling on the 15th of December and let them warm up a little bit for about two weeks. And first thing I did was got that really, really gigantic rat that I had kind of been saving up, and I gave it to the, uh, gave it to the stonewash girl. I gave the male a medium rat and just kind of let them sit, let them see what they were going to do. And kind of what I was expecting to happen, which is what did happen, was she ate it, she sat, she pooped, and she went straight into shed, which is a very good sign for females in the species. So I'm kind of of in that process right now where she – where she's just gotten out of blue, so she's probably going to shed sometime – I'm kind of expecting it on Saturday. I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm usually pretty good at picking out exactly when they're going to shed. Okay. But um, after that point, usually they need a little bit more warming time, but not much. And then the males are supposed to just go crazy with that fresh shed female. That's what Nick's told me. That's what a lot of people in the Brettles Pythons group have told me is that once she sheds is – that's that's kind of when it happens. Okay. So since they are a spring breeder, 
uh that can be anywhere from uh you know late February, March. Usually they're laying eggs around April or May. Uh most people's clutches will hatch out sometime between late June and maybe mid September. So this year, since I cooled them down so early, I cooled them down starting in October, just because that's when it got cold. Okay. Yeah, I started like on Halloween or something like that. So, um, yeah, this year I'm kind of expecting if they go, I don't, if they go, it'll be an early clutch, I think. Uh huh. But um, there are issues with age which is where this species is pretty famous for nothing wants to go at all until they're three and a half, either sex. Female's 2009, so she's fine. The male is a 2014, so he is a year younger than that three and a half mark. Okay. So I don't have my hopes up that high. There have been a couple people this year, though, or this last year, that have successfully gotten younger males to breed. Austin Warwick, who uh, you guys just had on, he got his young male to breed. Uh, the guy I was mentioning earlier got a pair of hypos to breed at two and a half years old. Um, Apparently it's done pretty often in Australia, though, but uh, I don't know. The Australians have a very different feeding philosophy than Americans do, I think. Yeah. They seem to to like to feed their stuff a little more than we do. Yeah. I think um, they do more of a – well, I don't know. From talking to some of them, it's more of a cycle type. That was a generalization, too. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So if they go that year, it'd be great. It'd actually be the first ever clutch of uh, hypo, 50% hypo on headstone washes, which I'd be really excited for that. If I, if I did, I'd like to hold back maybe 2.3 of those. Part of the reason why I have such a small collection is to kind of have room for lots and lots of holdbacks, because I've kind of done the math in my head and realized, oh, I'm going to have to have like, like 30 of these things <laughs> one day. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say future projects, though. Um, like to breed my pair of uh, hit stripes together. Mm-hmm. Like to um, get a hold of some Harris line stuff. But I really, really would like to get a hold of some of Austin Warwick's animals because they are half Afors, half Harris line, which are two completely unrelated lines. And then you mix in one of my Casey Lazic line animals. You have an animal that is... And that's is, all of them in one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so... I mean, that's... For a species that really has been kind of uh, going through a family ladder instead of a family tree, I think it'd be really good to outcross them a little bit. I mean, like I said, we kind of... <laughs> we really have only been working with Casey Lazic lines uh, for the last... Uh, well, since 1998, really. And right. Nick's not trying to outcross the Brettles pythons that much, which is kind of where our philosophies differ in that. Yeah, he's about more but, preserving. Uh, you know, that's a that's a, that's a a question that comes up a lot as far as, you know, so I'm curious of your thought. Um, you know, outcrossing, yeah, you want to keep the bloodlines pure so somebody can get that bloodline, but at the same time, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I don't really, I don't matter. really care about maintaining the bloodlines that much. I mean, I'll have pure Casey Lazic line stuff, and then if I get a Afors line female, I'll breed my Afors line male. But 
I don't know, something about breeding. I know breeding siblings together is absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how much uh, genetic diversity Breadly even have to begin with, but um, which I would have loved to have talked about. There's a lot of stuff I would have liked to have talked about if I had just kind of got out of my own way in the first hour or two. But <laughs> no worries, man. That's what this, this is show why, number two this is, is why we have show number two. Like, yeah. this is not a bad thing, you know that, right? Because then we have yeah. to bring you back. This is if anything we like these kind of shows because then now we have to bring you back. That's one more show we don't have to plan. Right. When I say we, I mean Eric. (laughs) But, uh, okay, so you're more of a guy that, you know, you like to outcross and, you know, make your own type of thing. Casey? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh no! I hope he didn't hang up. No, or Dick no, disconnected. No, no, no. He's still there. Oh God! Let me see. Quick, push button. <laughs> yeah, I pushed it. He's still there. I mean, I see his. Uh, oh man! You freaking blog I mean, talk, you. Pete, I mean. <sighs> Crap. All right, well, there's that. <laughs> I don't know. I is still, like, like his, I said. He's not in the side room, is he? Or No, I, I see him right there. Oh, man, that sucks. And it's after hours, right? Yeah, so I guess if his phone got disconnected at all on the on the thing, but that's weird that I would still see him live. We may want to try to pick, yeah. I don't know. And if you tell him to call back in, he's not going to be able to get in there, is he? No, he can't. Freaking, this well, is like the... Yeah, the, the question I was going to ask is, you know, I was talking to uh, Rob about this earlier. You know, I used, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Gamma Jag as an example, but... Uh, yeah. No, nah, he dropped. Shit. You know, that's um, strike three, blog talk. You and I are going to have a freaking, you know, got to find another goddamn game in town. Anyway, but go on with the gammas. Um, so when when you have gamma, obviously that was something that John put together. Um, right. You know, if you keep breeding that, I mean, are they, are, are they st- it seems like, you know, do they lose something or like, uh, you know what I mean? So like, if you're just breeding gamma, the, the gamma type of stuff, like, you know, you're not progressing it. Do you outcross it? Do you do this? And, um, you know, I don't know. That's just something that I've, I've thought about for a while as far as like, you know, bloodlines. Cause I, I want people to be able to still get, you know, pure bloodlines of stuff, you know, later on down the line. But at the same time, you're not really going to progress your projects in the way you want if you just keep creating the same thing, if that makes sense. You know? yeah, and, you're, and you're exactly correct. I mean, if you just keep making gammas, cross with gammas, cross with gammas, cross with gammas, it's like it's not really going to go anywhere. Where you start seeing the variations is when it's a gamma cross with, like, jungle diamond this or gamma cross with this. But it's like you, the problem I have is that Obviously, every single gamma 
is related. So breeding gamma to gamma, you, you're doubling down on the bloodline, and the people keep crossing gammas to gammas, we're going to run into a problem like we did with, like, granites and start seeing some bumpy stuff. You know, it's it, it's kind of like you almost want to, you almost have to and want to outcross where you take gamma and breed it to a diamond that had nothing to do with any gamma ever. So, but I don't think a lot of people are really going to be, that's not really going to be on uh, the top of everybody's list. If they have a gamma, the first thing they want to do is cross it with their jungles or their other gammas. So, yeah, I don't know. That's probably, I don't, I don't have any gammas. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably a bad example on a bread lie show, but <laughs> it is. I don't know. I, I, that's is. what I was talking about well, today. So I, well, it's almost like you almost look at the species and it's like having how genetically diverse is the species. If it is, like Casey was saying in the beginning of the show, a glorified island species that lives in a desert. You know, it's like when people are talking about rough scales and how they only live in that one kind of crevasse and breeding brothers and sisters and stuff hasn't seemed to bother them for eons. Um, would it be something you should watch out for with a bread eye or is it something that really kind of doesn't do that much or I don't know. Is it something to worry about or not? I don't know. I, I like outcrossing. So I'll, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, me too. Um, okay. Hold on. I'm just finishing up. Uh, no, nope, um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I, I think there was a well, lot of info in that show. Two. I was. Yeah. I more and you know other shit. <laughs> well, last year, uh, last let well last year, like it was so long ago. But uh, when <laughs> I, when I first originally originally was talking to Casey, we were talking about doing like you know maybe getting a couple different bread lie keepers on here, um, you know to do sort of like maybe a round table type of thing. And they really are cool nice. pythons, you know, they um, are. and, uh, they, they don't, they don't get as much love as they should, but if you're looking for a real hardy type of Python, you know, that gets a decent size, but, uh, it's not yeah. overwhelmingly big. Uh, you, know, you should check them out. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's, well, I shouldn't say there's a lot, but there, there's a few really good, uh, bread lie keepers out there, uh, bread lie breeders out there. Um, that's who I would mm-hmm. recommend going to as far as, you know, uh, checking out some, some, if you want to pick up a pair or, uh, you know, pick up one to try them out. Um, but, uh, you could definitely keep them in your room, in your house and, you know, put it on display and you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So, oh, yeah. Just, and we're talking about a Python that if you, if you're, even if you aren't really in to, uh, carpet pythons yet. If you're just kind of just toying with the idea of getting into them or messing around with them, th- these are the pythons that it's almost like if you could go back in time, this would be the one to start with. This is the one that is a very forgiving species. You can totally mess up as long as it's got a warm spot that gets somewhere in the 80s and water. It's not going to die on you. So it's it's very forgiving of a lot of things. Like what Casey was saying about like keeping it in a college dorm room, I'm surprised most of my coastals put up with that bullshit. A brettle's gonna have no trouble with that kind of crap. So it's definitely a python that if you have not looked into yet, 
and you're into Morelia, I would recommend revisiting or taking a first shot at because obviously we just talked about all the things that it's that's coming down the road for that species. So it is exciting, especially if you're somebody who's looking for new projects. So Yeah. Give it a shot. Uh yeah, I try I, I Casey just basically said that if you want to get in contact with him about anything, just check him out on Facebook, Casey Cannon. Um and you'll be able to uh you know, if you want to chat with him, if you had another question for him, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he will be back but, on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess uh, I, I, I was going to ask you because I didn't ask you at the beginning, but how's your season going so far? Dude, this has been the most action I've ever seen in a season. Well, we had a hell of a snow, right? <laughs> to be com- to be completely honest with you, I fed lighter this past season, uh-huh. and I I thinned down a bunch of my boys, and I got a few girls up to size, but I didn't go crazy with the food. And this has been the most action I have ever seen happening in my snake room throughout all my species around this time. Um, it's the bread liar probably going to be coming out of the winter room in the next week. Um, cause okay. they've been down probably since around October and it's just now getting to the point where that room hits, uh, a little bit below, a little bit around 60 degrees, maybe a little bit lower, um, every night. And they've been in there for probably about, uh, two weeks with the temperatures going below that. So I'm going to bring them in. Probably in the next week, probably uh, probably say Thursday, I'll bring them in. This way, okay. I, I'm going to be gone for four days, so it'll be nice for them to reacclimate back in. They're still going to do the normal drop down that the room's doing currently, and that all the snakes are doing currently. But right. uh, I'm hoping to get them. But I'm getting locks out of my huge coastal female and my male uh, jag that I never that I thought that pair was retired. These are Echo's parents. Okay. Um, so I want to do that again. Um, the woman keeps trying to breed with the female's head, so I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's stupid. Um, but my caramel female, I already sent out pictures. She looks huge. And I'm like, that. she's always the first one to go, you know, fuck you and your IJs breed first. That is a coastal that's going to drop eggs in, like, March again. So um, it's uh, – Yeah, but IJs – I just no usually drop eggs no in January. Cares. No one cares. No <laughs> one cares. No one cares. Um, the white lips, uh, they, we had it dust up, so we don't know what they're doing. The olive pythons, I actually cooked the hide box because my hide bin for my Maclots python is the same size as the hide box for the olive pythons. So okay. I took it out and put it in with the olive pythons. And so okay. went from having a male a male Maclots python living like in it to right in front of the olive pythons and the male olive python went nuts. He's like laying on top of it with like his face like jammed into it, smelling it. I'm like, yes, now go get the girl. So I don't know what he's doing. Uh, okay. The jungle females are doing their thing, but I have right now. I'm standing in the room right now. I have the caramel jag uh, is spurring the caramel tiger. The Exanic is spurring the Super Caramel, and my Tiger male doesn't know which one of the two females in his cage 
he wants to spur right now, so he's kind of doing both. He's like, so he's doing that thing, and somebody did something because something's beeping in here. So, um, <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> I know that sound. Something. <laughs> I know. Shut up, you. All right. Anyway, but yeah, so there's all that fun stuff is happening right now. What is going on here with this piece of crap? So it usually sounds like a probe is missing. It is a probe is missing at a sensor number three, so I don't know why that's happening right now, but we'll just do this until piece of crap. Anyway, but it is there we go. So it, it it's it, this is the exciting part of it right now. Um okay. my corn snakes are and you know what? I didn't take a picture of it, but I should have. Yeah, so it was locked yesterday. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I should have taken a picture of it and then taken out a billboard on your route to work and like made that like the giant, like as you're driving, it's just this giant picture of these two snake tails intertwined. And it's just like, I told you one day I'd get it. So, um, granite mail was locked up with one of my carpet pythons. Wait, hold on. One of your carpet pythons? I was really kind of hoping you weren't gonna you were gonna glance <laughs> past that part. <laughs> oh boy, it sounds like a jag. Well, it must be mixed with a I jag. Caramel jag? jag? I don't. No, I don't have any caramel jag. Zebra. Ready to, I no, it's just a normal coastal. Um, I need what? I need him to. I didn't have anything <laughs> for him. It's like oh my god, my heart, my heart, my heart. <laughs> He wouldn't breed with the jag that I have. He just, like, wouldn't like her. I don't know why. He's a fourth year. So I'm like, you're doing something. So I threw it in with my Lemke Coastal, all right? And what is that, blackhead food? Up. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Oh, my God. I need my inhaler. I can't breathe. <laughs> Stop it. Inhale, all right? You're going to live. I don't know what I'm going to do with the little bastards. They need oh. something from this dude, all right? Monitor food? Shit. Yeah, probably. I don't care. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But my thinking of my thinking of is you're gonna if you're gonna make you're gonna make granite jags, who gives a shit? And so you know I don't know. Yeah, that's that's true, but <laughs> Hey man, whatever. I'm not what, I don't care. I don't care. Okay. It's all right. He's breeding he's breeding with the female. At least he's not all broke. He's exactly. not broke. <laughs> Now I now I have undisputed proof it was me, okay? Because the female the females of Jason's probably breeding with his male, and then this thing's up here breeding with a coastal, so I just can't do it apparently. So I think really the underlying issue is really you are a Frankensteiner at heart. You just play <laughs> never you just play a purist on a podcast. I think that's it. I do. That's my that's my character role. Yeah. So uh, disgusting. Well, it sounds I felt like... bad doing it. <laughs> oh man, it sounds like you got a lot of cool stuff going on, man. That's awesome. I'm I'm hoping for some stuff. Yeah. I mean, and then uh, with the late stuff, I mean, it, it's stuff I keep forgetting is that there's a, a blood over at Matt's place. The IJs with Jason Balin. Um. And then there's the stuff with Chris, which is the Barnex and the Tanabars. 
So who the hell knows how many babies they'll be looking? And um, I'm sending Glitch down to KJ. So maybe baby Macklot's pythons on the horizon here. I might be buried in babies. One can only hope. I don't, you're not even counting the colubrids. Cool. That's awesome, man. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It'd be All awesome right. when I'm sitting here going, I do not have enough baby cages. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> usually, usually how it goes when I get the eggs, I'm like, I've just screwed myself. So, what did I do? I did not think this what, out. What, what have I done? And that's when I take the entire collection at granted evil things and just dispose of them somehow. So, feed them the monitors. Feed the eggs the monitors. Yeah. They'll eat the eggs, right? I got, I got, oh, dear God. They, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Niles will be all over those things. All of them will be gone by then. So, the Are they breeding? A little too, yeah, they keep trying to. Um, yeah. But like, and every once in a while, like he finally catches her. It used to be that he wouldn't know what to do at this point. He's like, I caught her. Now what? And it's like they would just kind of sit there for about a minute, and then she would break free again and be off to the races. So it's getting to the point now where he's really kind of trying to get his tail underneath hers to right. breed. Um, and they, they cannot breed in, a, in that tank in my living room. It's not enough space. Um, right. They are, they are definitely getting a lot bigger. They're definitely getting a lot bolder. Uh, feeding time is now a complete fiasco. I end up opening the cage and like using a cardboard box to like beat them back so that I oh, can Jesus. put their plate down. It's, this is why show. I don't have um, monitors. <laughs> dear God. Yeah. So, and it's like and it's like Andrew is going to come get them. If, if the weather held up last weekend, it didn't. So now we have to wait. And then I have to go do this uh, wedding thing. Uh, my friends Tom and Colleen, who every once in a while they end up listening to the show. So congratulations, you two, um, are getting married this Congrats. weekend. So I, right. I have to go do all that. So – he can't come up here and do that, so we have to wait till further the weekend after that. So uh, the idea is that they're leaving, and they will go to Andrews, so they will have a much larger cage, and they can properly be set up to breed. And then I'm getting, like, six or seven little baby ones to run around in the living room tank for a year or so until they're too big, like before. So. Ah, gotcha. All right, yeah. cool. So eventually I get uh, a monster. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not breeding, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm just here. Yeah. I'm just here. Your males are so Which is good, though. With you. <laughs> yeah. The, male, the males definitely want to breed, um, but like I said, I'm not taking a chance with the females. Um, I haven't seen anything yeah. that says to me. That uh, it's screaming, uh, you know, I want to breed. Yeah, so, you know, I haven't really been uh, messing with the temps too much because I'm just trying to dial in the room. So I I really haven't been dropping them all that well. I'm just trying to get a feel for how it goes and, you know, which is kind of cool because now I can kind of, I can kind of see like how far I have to drop it, what the temperature is outside, that kind of thing. So, so, uh, yeah, that's what's going on with me. Um, but, uh, watch out 2018 watch. It'll be El Nino again. And, uh, it'll be a shitty warm winter and <laughs> no breeding at all. Right? Going, 
you sit there yeah. going, what the hell? Yeah. God damn it. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Okay. Um, next week's show, I have a, I, we have a couple options, but, uh, I'm still waiting for confirmation. I got to contact some people, um, and, uh, and, and get, get some, uh, solid dates of who's doing what, but, uh, some pretty cool guests coming up real soon. Uh, we'll run down this list and then I guess we'll get the heck out of here. So, um, uh, I guess I'll start with, uh, if you like the show, you like what we do, uh, then take a second and, uh, go over, follow the links. We have it all over the place. It's on the, it's on the website. It's on our Facebook page. It's on Morelia pick of the week. Um, takes you over to the reptile report, uh, and help us get nominated for the 2016, um, reptile report radio show of the year. Um, and that would be cool. Like we said at the beginning of the show. Um, as far as Morelia Python Radio, you can check out our website, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. You can get all the info related to where to listen to the show. Um, you can check out the uh, Morph page if you're trying to find out what morphs and carpets and all that kind of stuff. Uh, stay up to date with the latest news with the show and links and stuff of interest uh, for anything when it comes to uh, the world of Morelia. If you have any questions or comments, you can send us an email at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. We're now on Stitcher, where you can listen to the show on there. You can follow us on uh, Facebook, and we're also on Twitter at MoreliaPythons. Carpet Fest. Uh, For some reason, CarpetFest.net wasn't working right, but I got that all straightened out today. I got to go in and update the dates and stuff, but uh, CarpetFest.net, we got three Carpet Fest in the with dates uh, coming up this Damn. year. Yeah. Uh, Northeast Carpet Fest is uh, actually. Let's back that up. Let's start with the first one. First one is the Southern Carpet Fest, which is 4:29. Uh, it's in Arlington, Texas. Bill Stegall's hosting again. Uh, I know Austin is working on a on a, sh- a new shirt, um, and uh, should be. He did a great job with the one from last year. Yeah, so like, if you're down. I like that shirt. <laughs> Yeah, if you're down in the southern area of the U.S. and you're looking for a place to go and hang out with uh, carpet breeders, uh, a lot of chondro guys come to that. Um, uh, also, a lot of ball python guys come to that. So, you know, it doesn't just have to be you have to be into carpets, uh, but uh, you can go and hang out. They're an awesome group of guys um, for sure. Uh, then next up is our Carpet Fest, Northeast Carpet Fest. I will say the original. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> have to throw that in there this year i'm hosting it uh it's in uh warminster pa and it's on june 3rd 2017 um so uh you can go and and check out the uh, northeast carpet fest fake facebook group page uh that's probably where we'll be talking about you know who's bringing what and all but uh you all yeah, the we'll info as far as yeah, directions, hotels, all that stuff I'm working on. So I'll have all that info, and I'll, I'll put it at both that group, the Facebook page, and the website. Um, then the Southwest Carpet Fest is on June 19, 2017, and they're having that at Prehistoric Pets again. Um, and it starts at 8 p.m. Um, so awesome. if you're out there on the West Coast, and, you know, again, you want to go hang out with some, some fellow Morelia people, uh, by all means, you got you're you're covered. Either the South 
the southwest or the northeast. Pretty much covered in the U.S. You guys in the middle, I don't know. Maybe you have to have a, a Midwest carpet fest or something. something <laughs> yeah, I don't know Somebody what to tell you. Somebody has to do something. <laughs> you know, it's like that. There's some stuff you can do there. Obviously, if you guys have any questions about travel to any of these locations or any of these carpet fests, contact the people who are kind of running them or putting them on. They'll be happy to help. You can also contact myself or Eric. We'll help you out with that kind of stuff, point you in the right directions. Um, we would love to have everybody come. We'd love to have everybody show up, and we'd love to meet you guys. We'd love to see everybody uh, have a good time and rub some elbows with some good people. And, of course, the other part of it is we'd love to raise as much money as we can for U.S. ARC. So if you are thinking about donating something to any of the carpet fests or all the carpet fests, it's never too early to start planning that kind of stuff So because we'll be asking for donations at some point soon. So, yes. Where we are with that. Um, and then uh, calendars, uh, Morelia Python Radio 2017 calendars. Uh, very few left. So if you were thinking about getting one, you're on the fence, uh, you know, uh, I would pull the trigger. Uh, it's only 15 bucks if you're in the U.S., uh, outside the U.S. Uh, I don't know. The most that I've had for shipping so far has been, I don't know, maybe 25 bucks or something like that. Uh, which mm. which isn't too bad. So um, yeah, if you want one of them, um, again, it's all over. It's uh, it's on our Facebook page. It's on our uh, website, etc. Uh, basically, just PayPal me, contact me, and I will give you the info that you need, and we'll get you a calendar. Um, as far as myself, ebmorelia.com. That's my website. Email is ericaebmorelia.com. That's all I got. What do you got, Owen? Cool. What I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. We're updating the breeding journals currently, so take a look, keep an eye out for that. You can also go and search rogue reptiles at facebook.com. Check out everything we got going on over there. We have a few babies for sale, but we're starting to run out. So now's the perfect time to contact me about payment plans or work something out that it will be shipped out in springtime. We can do shipping currently, but it's got to go from me to a FedEx hub, and it has to be when I say it's going to go. So you're not cool with that? Don't buy it. Um, we also have currently upcoming show is in February at Hamburg, and that's the only show i got cooking on right now. Uh, I'll let you guys know if there's anything else coming up um, for that one. I am going to miss this habit of grace coming up, so don't expect me there. Uh, that's all I got, and that's all we have for you guys tonight. So what we'll say is we're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.